Hello, I'm actor Troy McClure. You kids might remember me from such educational films as Lead Paint, Delicious But Deadly, and Here Comes the Metric System. I'm here to provide the facts about sex in a frank and straightforward manner. And now here's Fuzzy Bunny's Guide to You Know What. This is Fuzzy Bunny. About a year ago, he noticed his voice was changing. He had terrible acne and had fur where there was no fur before. He also noticed Fluffy Bunny. Fluffy and Fuzzy went to the park, the ice cream social, the boat show, and various other wholesome activities. And they never ruined their fun by giving in to their throbbing biological urges. Then came the big day. Fluffy and Fuzzy got married. That night came the honeymoon. She's faking it. The most satisfying part of the night was knowing that they waited. Nine months later, Fluffy gave birth to 14 beautiful bunnies. Eight survive. And now that you know how it's done, don't do it. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Anime Baby, where we always take a walk on the wild side. This is your host, Mikey, and if I had a persona, this would be where I tell you what it is, but I don't. And joining me, as always, is... The bearer of beastly love stories, your co-host, Ryan. And happy Valentine's Month, everybody! Woo! Oh, yeah, the, the month of love, everyone. <laughs> love in the time of cholera. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's been rough, but hey, we gotta we gotta find some love somewhere, and we're spreading the love to all of you out there. Now, can I just say that I am so happy that things worked out to where we are covering this show in particular. Uh, not not just like during the month of Valentine's Day, but on Valentine's Day. Itself. Yeah, because as we record this, it is February fourteenth, and this is an anime all about the topic of love. Yep, we have something that does fall into the love category, as we're talking all about Beastars Season 1. And oh my god, this is one I've been wanting to get to for so long. Yes, you've been looking forward to this one for a long time. Yes, I have got I got into Beastars uh, just roughly around the same time, a little before the anime was announced, I believe. And yeah, ever since then, I've just been like keeping up with it and like reading it. And my god, it's been a wild ride. 
on the wild side. <laughs> and here we come to now, where we are finally talking about uh, the first anime suggestion of my choice. Yeah, this is like 100% your suggestion. Yes, this is my suggestion, and it's finally taken this long to get around to it. Yeah, because I remember you told me about this, I think, around the time when... It was either when we recorded the end of uh, My Hero Season 3 or uh, Bloom Into You. Yeah, somewhere around there. You told me about this, and then you were like, okay, once this anime comes out, because you had a feeling that it would be good anyway, so we were, you were like, okay, we should do this one. Someday. I at least knew it was going to be interesting to talk about. Yeah. Like, no matter like no matter what it was going to turn out to be in the end. But holy crap, did it turn out to be... Did, did, did the anime turn out to be such a great boost to the popularity of a great manga series, and I'm so happy to be talking about it for this podcast. Yeah, excellent suggestion, man. But before we get right into it, as always, here's a little bit of the background on the mastermind behind Beastars, Paru Itagaki. The, ch the chicken-headed goddess herself. Yes. Arise, chicken, chicken, arise. <laughs> <laughs> Paru Itagaki, born in Tokyo, Japan, on September 9th, 1993. Holy shit, she's only 11 months older than me. What, what? Oh god, that is that is a young talent right there. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. It's like fuck. What have I been doing with my life? <laughs> she's got a she's got a big series under her belt. It's so weird to know though. Uh, she had always been quite the artist ever since she was a child. Uh, she had a knack for painting when she was in kindergarten, and by the time she was in the second grade, she began drawing her own manga. And uh, she's also very cultured as uh, she cites artists as uh, Nicola de uh, de Cressy and Egon Schiele as influences. I hope I pronounced those right. Egon Schill, Egon Schill. Yeah, I, I mispronounced that last name a lot, too. Yeah, look it up. I'm familiar with the artist, though. Yes. And also, big influence was also uh, Disney films, which you can definitely see in her work, too. Mm, yeah, most definitely. Uh, she would eventually go to school for art, as she attended Musashino Art University, mostly studying filmmaking, but she also continued to pursue manga as a bit of a hobby. She even started to sell her own uh, manga at uh, dojin conventions, too. After graduating, she was unfortunately unable to get a job within the film industry, so instead she turned once again to her manga as she submitted some to a publishing company, Akita Shoten, which accepted her work. And through them, she released her first series, a series of short stories called Beast Complex, which began in 2016 and ran until 2019, and just this year, 2021, is starting back up again. Most most of what you need to know about Beast Complex is that it's practically like a prequel to Beastars. <laughs> yeah, that's what I hear about it. It's roughly, I think it's roughly set in like the same universe, and I think in some parts you can even see uh, the uh, main character, uh, Legoshi, as a cameo character. Just kind of walking around, really? Something like that, I believe. I haven't really like read it, but like I've only heard about it and stuff, but uh, yeah, like she she was like dipping her, t like the Beastars technically started before even Beastars began. Yeah, like, you can kind of see Beast Complex was a bit of a companion piece, because uh, around and in the same exact year, she would release her most famous series, Beastars, in Weekly Shonen Champion, that uh, did start in 2016 and wrapped up just last year in 2020. Yes, had a nice good run to itself. And looking at her history, it's amazing to see how much she's accomplished at only 27 years old right now. Like, you can, you can say it's uh, unsurprising, as uh, manga is definitely in her blood, as uh, she's actually a second-generation manga artist, as Paru Itagaki is the daughter of Keisuke Itagaki, the man behind Grappler Baki, a.k.a. Baki the Grappler, a.k.a. the series our friend JP loves to death. Holy shit, talk about some progeny. How about that, man? <laughs> like, when I first heard about that, I, I was just like, no way. <laughs> Looked it up. Way! <laughs> to, like, when you th when you imagine the daughter of Baki. 
the the daughter of the Baki guy. Like you must imagine like the beefiest art or something, but like <laughs> no, she's just got these like you know, just like beautifully like penciled and like watercolored like uh, spreads and stuff, and like these very like soft appealing characters <laughs> compared to like her father's artwork, where these just big beefy brick shit houses with like twenty eight packs and like muscles and places most guys don't even have places. I have two hundred and seventy bones in my body that are three inches thick, <laughs> and stories about them bursting into the Oval Office and fighting Barack Obama or Trump. <laughs> <laughs> It's not what you would expect. No. And uh, this was a big secret for the early part of her career as uh, Paru Itagaki's uh, very private person, you know, not talking much about her uh, personal life and uh, rarely making public appearances. Oh, yeah, it's understandable. Lots of manga artists are not very public people. Yeah, and, like, when she does make uh, public appearances, she comes in wearing a big uh, chicken mask over her head. I mean, that's that's cute. It is cute. <laughs> it's it's uh, kind of like uh, Horikoshi wearing the uh, Plague Doctor's beaks when he makes uh, public appearances. I think in the manga, she also portrays herself as, like, a, as, like, a featherless chick or something. I don't know what, what it really is, like, an ostrich or something? Like, kind of in the little uh, asides before each chapter? Right, right. You know, like, where she's kind of drawing herself within her studio and yeah, stuff. Yeah, kind of like how, uh, uh, Hiroma Arakawa, who does Full Metal, uh, draws herself as, like, a cow. Right, right. So, yeah, that's that's another sort of, like, a little public persona there. But, so, yeah, no one knew who uh, Paru Itagaki's father was, and I assume people noticed they had the same surnames, but didn't really connect the two. Probably ju- thought it was just coincidence. Like, I'm assuming Itagaki is a very common last name. Yeah, yeah. That, w- that is until 2018, when uh, the rumor mill became running around, saying that they were father and daughter, and it started to gain traction. And then in 2019, Paru Itagaki did a joint interview with her father, confirming the uh, rumor. And uh, the re- they should have just—they should have just come out like a great reveal or something, just yeah. like got like a mask on or something. Like I will now reveal my father <laughs> to the world. You've all been asking for so long. <laughs> Takes off the mask. It's me. It was me all along. <laughs> you all bought it. <laughs> Even my immediate family bought it. Yes, they did, Dad. I'm I'm right here. <laughs> Each and every one of you have been made fools of. <laughs> But uh, there is a reason why she hid that Keisuke Itagaki was her father, as uh, she did not wish to disclose her parentage until she was uh, firmly established within the manga industry, because if she had revealed it earlier, then uh, people would accuse her of uh, nepotism, you know, her father made this manga artist, like, in... She's getting a break into the industry, so people thought, like, oh, he's just getting giving her a job. I mean, have you seen Goro Miyazaki? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the black sheep of uh, the Miyazaki family. Oh, yeah. I would have second thoughts, too. <laughs> <laughs> and also another thing, you know, like, uh, especially considering that she's a woman trying to break into the manga industry, there's bound to be, like, some sexist assholes out there, too. Right, kinda, like, right. Really add to that fuel to fire, you know? Yeah, that can be tough as well. But uh, now we move on to the subject of this podcast as we turn our attentions to Beastars. And yeah, you introduced this to me. And uh, usually when it comes to the podcast, most of the time it's me introducing stuff to you. Like most of the stuff we've covered here, I've already seen. And you're basically seeing for the first time. But uh, it's kind of the other way around here, really. Where I am I am the master. I am I am the uh, I am the sublime Beastar here. And you are the lesser Beastar. Yeah. <laughs> I still need to work my way through the ranks. Yes, exactly, because I just made a reference that you did not understand. (laughs) (laughs) I am the big king Bojack Horseman of the series. (laughs) Uh, You don't know what you're in for. Oh, man. You know, like how I said with with, uh, Promise Neverland, you ain't seen nothing yet. I guess I ain't seen nothing yet. Yes, you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, how did you discover Beastars, really? 
How did I? I think I kept seeing, like, images every now and then online of, like, some, like, um, like, series, like, a wolf or something, like, a, like, covers or whatever and stuff, and, like, and I kept getting, like, serious, like, or, like, getting kind of curious after all, like, what the hell is this show that I keep, like, or what the hell is this, like, manga that I keep seeing out there and stuff, and I looked it up, and I was, and then I was kind of discovering it more, and I was all, like, wait, where does this go, like, so I kind of, like, read on and stuff, and I'm, like, where does this, like, get good or something, but then, like, but then, like, the, the world of Beastars immediately clicked with me, and I was like, oh, that's what this is. Like, oh, oh, you've got, the, you've got carnivores and herbivores, you've got, like, this school that's this microcosm, and you've got these, and you've got this, like, acting, you've got, like, what's that, is that a gun? <laughs> are, this, are they fighting now? Are they beating the shit out of each other? Oh my god, like, this is getting so uncomfortable, but, like, fascinating in, like, various ways. And I'm like, oh, I'm so down for this. I am reading on. Oh, this ain't your daddy's Zootopia. That's, that, that was a little bit of my thought. Yeah. Like, this ain't your daddy's Zootopia. <laughs> Fuck that Disney shit, this is some real hardcore stuff. Like, it was going to some wild places. And I was like, oh, I gotta be here for this. <laughs> <laughs> You're all in. This is gonna be, this is gonna be big. This <laughs> is going to be big. Well, I also knew the angle of like, oh, well, like, you know, people are gonna make fun of this for being furries, for like being a furry series. So, uh, of course, it's going to get a whole lot of attention. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was, um, I was, I wasn't there at ground zero, but like, I was, you know, relatively close at least. You know, within the perimeter of it. <laughs> right, exactly. So, uh, Beastars would receive an anime adaptation in 2019 produced by Studio Orange. Orange is a uh, CG animation studio known for their 3D work on Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex and Zoids. Remember Zoids? I remember Zoids. Everyone remembers Zoids. <laughs> Who can forget Zoids? One of the most notable Toonami shows of the mid-aughts. Yeah, because, you know, I, I had at least one Zoid figure. I've seen the toys. I, I never bought them, but I thought they looked cool. <laughs> it's Zoids. Zoids. Why not Zoids? <laughs> uh, Orange's most notable work, other than Beastars, of course, is co-producing Dimension W. Nah, uh. nah, nah, nah. <laughs> nah. I mean, they did do that, but no, nah, that's not what I want to refer to. No, 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 no. No, actually, their most notable work, other than Beastars, is Land of the Lustrous, which is a CG animated show about lesbian space rocks. So basically, anime Steven Universe. Yes, exactly. Never seen it, but I hear it's good. Quite, quite a beautiful looking show, and like, I, I gotta say, for that studio, they have really risen up in recent years. Yeah, also, CG animated anime, how about that? Mmm, definitely. Like, they they have really honed their skill since then. Yeah, and it's like, it's one of those things, like, that can go either really well or really poorly. Like, look no further for examples that have it going poorly than Berserk. 2016 oh my god don't even don't don't even i don't even know if we'll even do that for a podcast episode i kind of want to but i'm also kind of scared yeah <laughs> very scared i'd be down for it but i'd also be very scared of it i think only if we do the original 90 90s anime yes. first only if we do that first yeah it's and, kinda... you've, and you've read most of the deluxe volumes <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like the idea we had we're like we both want to do One Punch Man Season 2 because it's so bad, but we, we need to do One Punch Man Season 1 first. And it's like, well, and, it's, and, and then we get into the fight of like, oh, should we really do that episode just so that we can talk about something bad? And it's like, I don't know, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the usual, like, you know, discussions we have about that. Right, most, most of the time. Uh, the anime is directed by Shinichi Matsumi and aired in Japan from October 2019 to December 2019, while us in the States and everywhere else had to wait until March 13th, 2020. 
to finally see the series as it was licensed by our old friend Netflix. Oh god, I remember that. That sucked so hard. Uh, see our Little Witch Academia episode if you want to hear our personal feelings on Netflix when it comes to them licensing anime. They they are they are fickle. It's just all like, oh hey, you want to see the show that's currently airing in Japan? Well, too bad. You gotta wait six months because we gotta wait for it to end so we can dump it all on the same day because we can't not let go of the binge watching model. Ugh, Even though every other streaming service is moving towards the weekly release model. Or like they're just doing what they're they're doing whatever they're adapting, but like Netflix doesn't want to like just Netflix just wants to do what it wants to do. God, which is like just not amenable to like the watching process. No, or the licensing process. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good luck waiting for this to come out on Blu-ray. Oh God, it's gonna be a nightmare. And I should also mention that around the same time the Beastars anime came out, the new Baki the Grappler anime came out too, and on Netflix no less. Hey, it's 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 like dad, it's like a daddy daughter day. <laughs> hey, sweetie, check it out. My manga got picked up for another anime on Netflix. Whoa, dad, me too. <laughs> awesome. It must have been a happy day in the Inagaki <laughs> household. Oh uh, yes. <laughs> And uh, another notable thing about the day Beastars came out here, March 13th, 2020, uh, basically the day our lives changed forever for the foreseeable future, really. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Beastars was uh, there to get us through those early days of the quarantine. And what a weird coincidence that fucking was. I mean, yeah. Eesh. Hey, listen, the world's going to shit, but uh, so just stay inside and just watch this incredible show. <laughs> Which I did when it came out and in, and in one sitting, no less. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. You told me that. Yeah, like, so, uh, slight, slight upside to the whole Netflix waiting release thing. I got it all done and got it all in one go. Had nothing to do because of locked inside, so sit down and watch all this. <laughs> and as for the dub side of things, the dub is written and directed by the team of Bob and Megan Buckles. And with all that out of the way, we're talking about Beastars Season 1. So without further ado, do this start the show. Let's talk about the uh, opening and the ending of the series, as the opening is Wild Side by Ali, and uh, the ending is uh, multiple songs done by uh, Eureka. I will say, endings are good, but the real main event here is the opening. Fuck the endings. No, the, the OP is where it's at right here. Holy shit, does this OP slap and 
fuck. Like, it fucks hard, you know? Strap yourself in and feel the G's. Oh, I can't even remember the last time an anime has ever done stop motion in its opening. But holy crap, was this so welcome and charming. And I remember when you uh, first, uh, you know, made me aware of Beastars, uh, one of the first things you showed me was uh, the opening itself. It's so cute! It is! It's so cute, but it has this underlying darkness to it. Oh, and it's got like Legoshi, like puppet Legoshi, looking at looking at uh, puppet Haru. And you got, like, uh, Louie in the middle between them and stuff. And they're chasing, but then, like, everything's all light and they're dancing. And it's, like, the cutest shit because they modeled the dancing after, like, amateur wedding, like, uh, amateur people who just had a wedding or something and were dancing at the reception. Yeah, I remember uh, hearing about that where, like, uh, initially they looked at professional dancers and they were all like, Ah, there's something missing here. This doesn't really feel authentic. But then they watched, like, someone's uh, wedding reception video and they were all like, Perfect. I want that. Right, because, like, the re- the relationship is the cell of the series, so they got them, like, charmingly dancing, and it's like, you don't see dancing very often in, like, stop motion and stuff, so, oh, oh my god, this is, like, legitimately one of my favorite OPs of, like, the last decade. <laughs> and the song itself, too, is just... Ah, the song is just so good. Right, because like Ali, they're 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 a very new group. I think they were only formed in like 2016 or something. Oh wow. Yeah, but like they've got this like sort of like jazzy funk hip hop vibe to them a little bit, you know. And um, you know, I know they released like a single of like the opening theme, but the single doesn't really compare to just like the opening itself because it's 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 real charming, really real energetic and. It's really sweet. And really, the, really sweet. And the song itself kind of gives me vibes of the uh, the second opening to uh, JoJo, you know, the JoJo Part 2 opening. Yeah, it does a little bit. It's it just kind of that jazzy feel, you know, and the kind of like, you know, you just really want to jam out. You really want to gyrate to it a little. <laughs> yeah. And also I heard about the, uh, the puppets they made for this is that uh, they didn't really have anything like that at their studio. So uh, the way they uh, figured out how to, like, design them is that uh, they had to look up online and see, like, how uh, fans... Uh, designed, like, 3D models of the characters here and kind of, like, went off that. And also another big thing is uh, Legoshi, like, he's known for, like, like his fur, his furriness is, like, a major part of, like, his character design. And, like, working with that with stop motion had to have been seriously difficult because, you know, stop motion, you have to, like, move the figures ever so slightly, but, like, you know... You so- have to imply movement with, like, the with the fur as well and how it'll interact with the air around it. And also touching it, you have to be very careful because, like... One hair out of place can ruin an entire shot. Yeah, but technically, it's technically it's an impressive opening, and musically, it's it's wonderful to listen to. It's amazing. series opens with a shadow running through a hallway in a school. Another larger shadow creeps up behind. 
breathing heavily. The figure who is running has shallow breathing, scared, bloodied arm running through doors until they finally reach a room cornered. And behind them, breathing, hungry, breathing. This, t this small animal, this small herbivore is fearing for its life, scared for it, and for he knows what is coming up. He's, he knows that this person who is following him sees him only as food, and he knows what is coming. All he can do is just yell out, You carnivores! You are all monsters! And before he can even let out a scream, jaws come for him, and after that, only darkness. Wow, what a way to open a series. What a start. <laughs> what a start. When I first saw this opening, um, just I think I texted you, I'm just like, sold. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> we kick off the show with a small alpaca-looking uh, character just getting devoured by a large carnivore. Yeah, it's an alpaca named Tem, and he is no more. And this will be the event that shakes the future events of the series. As this uh, causes a lot of tension amongst the uh, carnivore and herbivore students at the prestigious boarding school, Cherryton Academy. And right from the get-go here, we get one of, over one of the major elements of the series, like the dichotomy that comes between two sets of animal students here. Well, yeah, like, right off the bat, we just get, like, immediately thrown into, like, the world-building of the series, which is, like, of Beast of Stars, which is, like, immediately one of, like, the, like, it's, it's, like, I, I'm still amazed by how well it, like, uh, coaxes you into, like, this, uh, world and helps you to, uh, believe it all. All you see, just initially, just this big school, this big world filled with, uh, walking, talking animals of all shapes and sizes. Yeah. And immediately, immediately you are clued into, like, the anxieties. A herbivore was devoured by a carnivore. And we get scenes of, like, herbivore students, like, reading the school newspaper, hearing about this, and then they're kind of, like, giving a little shifty eye toward their, you know, carnivore peers, and it's just all like, what do, what's gonna happen around here? Are we next? Also, I hear there's, like, another uh, mysterious carnivore walking around in the drama club, wonder what he's all about. It's, it's all such good setup! Yeah! It's amazing, and I just, I kind of really love this location here, Cherry 10 Academy, and, like, all these, like, characters just running around. It's just, it's just so very creative looking. Right, right. It's especially well made for, like, what is effectively a uh, small world, too. Like, the world of Beastars is uh, not big in, like, the uh, national sense or anything, yeah. you know? It's, it's all very self-contained to, like, this one city. Yeah, it's very kind of, like, small-towny, and, like, in fact, most of the time it takes place in the school, like, we barely go into the town like in the second half of the first season and yet it feels like the entire world too it feels bigger than it is way like like larger than life you know very effective opening Ex incredibly and uh, might as well get this out of the way now uh what do you think of this animation style this i was a little well again like i was initially like uh, worried when i heard it was going to be in the 3d animation but then i saw the kind of work that was being being put on by the studio i saw it on practice and it really warmed up to me over time. It really began to warm up to me. Yeah, like, I feel the CG is done pretty well here. And, uh, you know, it's also very, uh, the, comp the composition, like, really helps it out, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, they certainly, to get a little topical here, they don't X-arm it. 
Right, right. They, they, no, they really don't. Like, then again, if you know what you're doing, then you shouldn't X-arm it. Well, the, yeah, the studio used a lot of, like, uh, like really good techniques to, like, really make these uh, animals come alive and um, really make you empathize with them. Because it's a series where, like, most... It's it's not, like... There's there's not a lot of fighting in Beastars. It's a lot of characters talking a lot of the time. And I think it was probably the smarter option to go with, like, these... Uh, character models that, uh, you know, are, like, 3D rigs and stuff, but, like, didn't they also use, um, like, mocap or something? Yeah, like, the way it, uh, the way they did it is that uh, the characters are mocapped, and then uh, animators take the mocap footage, and then they just basically clean it up, tweak it a little bit, and uh, they also tweak the frame rate in order to have it, like, come out smooth and, you know, have, like, similar frame rates to, like, a 2D animation, too. Yeah, because you don't think about it very often, but if they increase the frame rate on those, you would, it would probably impart some kind of, like, uh, uncanny valley effect. Yeah, case in point, X-Arm. Like, they don't tweak, they use the raw mocap, and it just looks really, really weird. Oof, that's rough. <laughs> uh, anyway, Tem, the uh, alpaca that got killed, uh, his death is hitting the student body pretty hard. Most notably, the drama club is most affected, as he was a uh, part of them. And they all thought the club was, like, a safe place for carnivores and herbivores alike, but apparently not. And one of the members, Els, played here by Erica Harlicker, is hit the hardest by all of this as Tem was very special to her. And now she's starting to grow pretty sus of all the other carnivores in the club, specifically a certain gray wolf. Let's meet this wolf boy as though he may look scary, he's actually a super good boy. Introducing our lead, Lego She, played here by Jonah Scott. Ooh, like even when I saw this originally in the manga, I was thinking to myself, oh, this is a special boy right here. <laughs> he is, just the moment like... You kind of see him lurching around in the background, too, covered in the shadows, gripping at, like, corners of walls. But as soon as he, like, walks out of the shadows towards elves, you can just see the look on his face, and you go, oh, no, he's actually really nice. It's, yeah. it's almost like a, it's, the only, the way I can describe uh, Legoshi, like, initially, or, uh, you know, I call him, like, I call him Legosi in my personal life, but for the purposes of the podcast, I swear I will call him Legoshi. I won't screw it up. Yeah, I guess, uh, obviously a name based on uh, Bella Legosi. Right, Bella Lugosi. I mean, it just rolls off the tongue better. I'm t- yeah. I, I won't yeah. I won't get into it, but I'm just not partial to Legoshi. Yeah, we're we're using the official name here. Yes, we're using the official name. But uh yeah, when he's first like introduced, even th- there and even in like the manga, it's almost like this uh, I get this almost like same sense of like seeing almost like uh like Boo Radley come yeah. out and like <laughs> to kill a mocking. Yeah. Like that. he comes out and like, you know, like he's He's been talked about so much before, and, like, you know, the, the kid, like, people are kind of scared of him. But then you see him, and, like, there's just, like, this gentle innocence to him that you, imme- that you, you lock eyes with him, and, like, you just, you just understand that he's just, he's a kind soul. Yeah, like, he kind of catches you off guard with, like, his immense height, and also the fact that he's a wolf. But, like, as soon as he just starts talking in, like, his very calm, subdued voice, you can just tell that, oh, he's a really good guy deep down. Yeah. You know, just, like, don't let your preconceptions, like, you know, base your judgment on him. And also, he's a character that uh, Itagaki actually created back when she was in high school, actually. Wow, that far back? Yeah, she, uh, she, like, uh, not, she kind of created, like, this little wolf character, and then, like, after a few tweaks over the years, like, eventually turned into, like, Oshi. You know, she stated that she chose to make uh, a wolf character as uh, their similarity to uh, dogs made them familiar to readers. And also she thought that uh, wolves sneaking around made them cute. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is. And he does a lot of sneaking around in this series. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love, I love, love when you see uh, mangakas or like just like creators try to like put in like what they think is cute or something. Yeah. Or like actually the, the, the author of uh, Dorohid- Dorohidaro did the same thing but with uh, cockroaches. <laughs> Because she she she's said before that she thinks they're really cute. Yeah. 
That tells you so much about that mangaka. I mean, more power to her. (laughs) I love it. Uh, Legoshi shows his uh, good boy nature by giving Els a love letter that Tim wanted to give her before he died. That was sweet. You know, he was just saying, like, he couldn't think of a way to, like, confess his love for you, so he had me, like, deliver the letter letter before you, but he died before I had a chance to give it to you. Oh, and then the following day, we're introduced to another character, a little dwarf rabbit and the social outcast of the school. This is Haru, played here by Laura Jill Miller of Kari of Digimon fame. Holy crap, it's been so long since I've heard from her. Yeah, how about this casting choice here? Though? Holy cr- this is like the one I did not see coming at all. <laughs> yeah, neither did I. I cannot, I cannot stress enough how blindsided I was by it. Because I'm just like, wow, really? Like... She's done mostly, like, you know, kidsy stuff before, you know? Like, yeah. I've heard her in, like, so many other places before, you know? Yeah. You know, Kari from Digimon. She's also in The Loud House, too. In The Loud House. She also voices Fink in OKKO. It's like, I've associated her with so much, so many of these other works that I haven't really seen her in many uh, serious roles. So I was blown back because I knew going into this, like, wow, this is a serious role. Yeah, yeah. Like, wow, that's. That is stepping up. That is really stepping up. For yeah. Act- That's a real big step up for this actress. <laughs> and considering some of the stuff she will be saying throughout the series, it's also kind of pretty jarring considering like some of her past works too. It's it's heavy. Yeah. It's very heavy. Yeah. But at the same time, I also understand why she was cast in as well. Because Haru, the character here, um, she a big point is made that she is uh, infantilized a lot by other people. That she is sort of seen as, um, you know, more helpless compared to others, you know, because she's a small rabbit and stuff. And her voice does impart that, you know, character. It does. You know, she does sound... Many of her characters that she does voice are very diminutive. So that works wonderfully for this character, Haru. Yeah. Who is, who, you know, is, you know, you know, who does have, like, prejudice put against her uh, because of her size because of her gender, and because of her species. And also another big thing is that, uh, considering how she's uh, mistreated by a lot of the student body, because uh, she is known to be a very promiscuous, shall we say. Oh yeah, right off the bat, you're hearing rumors about like how she's uh, getting it on with like uh, the uh, boyfriend of a Harlequin rabbit. Yeah, she just comes all walking up saying like, Hey, I heard you've been stooping with my boyfriend. What's that all about? Care to explain? You know, we're, the, we're an endangered species, so you messing with him is kind of like messing up our right to live here. It's just like, whoa, jeez. I had to think for a second there. Endangered species? I think so. <laughs> I was just like, wait, could that actually be real in real life or something? Either that or in the show, because that's what she says. Yeah, it could be something in the show or something. Like, maybe maybe harlequin rabbits, you know, they're just a lot rarer around there. Wouldn't it be hilarious if it was if she was just a panda or something? Yeah. <laughs> and she's just like, hey, you've been stupid, my boyfriend? And she's just like, not like you two are getting it on. Woo! <laughs> Jerry Springer. It's be like Jerry Springer, but with pandas. <laughs> just get, like, some bodyguards to pull him apart for a brawl. You've been fucking my wife? We, Honey, we haven't been fucking at all. We're pandas. We Jerry, don't, Jerry, Jerry, we Jerry. don't fuck. <laughs> we eat bamboo and loaf around all day. <laughs> I don't even know the concept of children. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, baby, please, come back. Come back to me. I, I was wrong. I was wrong, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, fucking fuck high school bullies. They're the worst. Oh, don't we know it. 
And anyway, meanwhile, we meet another character to kind of round out a bit of our lead trio here. Introducing lead actor of the drama club and Cherryton's elite young buck, it's Louie, played here by Griffin Poutu. Oh, and he isn't he the best young buck? He is. Uh, he's too sweet. Ah, uh, quite sweet. Quite sweet. But also kind of an asshole at, the, at, the, at, the, as we, at the get-go here. Yeah, he is. Bit of a, you know, a bit of a high and mighty sort, you know. You know, he, he just... He just looks. He just looks like he exudes money. He is just. I. Uh, you can smell it on him. Well, even in the manga, his introduction is also a little bit haughty, you know, because like the the introduction in the manga is slightly different. Where, uh, yeah, the 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 the, the anime kind of goes quick here, but the manga takes it really takes its time. It's very. It's a bit of a slow start, but I really like it for that because it means you get some really like tense moments with Els thinking that she's being stalked by Legos Lego Legoshi. With Louie here, uh, he's more, like, the first time you see him in the manga is just, like, sitting around in, like, a nice big comfy chair in the actor's room, and, you know, he's just the king shit right there, you know? <laughs> the big dick G of the drama club. <laughs> and the school, no less. Yes, precisely. Also, looks like an actual deer. He does. <laughs> no, in the manga, I mean. Oh, really? Yeah, like, it's, it's, Paru Itagaki had such a big turnaround with her art style, when when it was first like kicking off, because like when she fir- when she was first drawing Lego she he looked uh, he looked very soft and very gentle and very kind, but he also looked like too, a little too much too wolfish. Like he looked a little bit too much like a wolf. I kind of liked it, but like uh, like as time went on though, she really simplified his facial designs and uh, and his bodily design quite a bit too. You know, using a lot more uh, shading, you know, and whatnot to. You know, really bringing out like the uh, the black shading on his body and like his fur in particular. You know, he looks he looks a lot sharper later in the series. And Louis, right off the bat, it, like just from like the from the neck up, he just looks like a deer. <laughs> and in some in like in some panels, he just looks like he. he she, I think she was trying to figure out how to make him emote effectively. But wow, by like a chapter like twenty five or so, or like thirty or something. Like, she just went, she just, like, settled right into, like, a comfortable area. And that's, and that's when, like, he, they, the characters started looking a, a little bit more stylized, they could emote better, and uh, Louie in particular is the uh, big glow-up, because otherwise he just looks like, <laughs> he just looks like someone just propped a, like a, like a deer head on someone, on a guy's body. Bit of, uh, Alan Dracula from Infinity Train. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of that, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of that effect, but, uh, no, that, that, that cleared up pretty quickly. But, uh, hey, the anime didn't have to, uh, you know, work with that or anything. No, they can just take the current design and just go with that. No, yep, looks just fine. And uh, his introduction scene here is a really good one, where, like, uh, he's trying to find a replacement for Thames, and he brings in, like, another actor, and he's just kind of, like, trying to run lines with him, and he's just getting all up in his face, like, no, do him right, and just kind of, you know, squishing his face with his hands there, and, like, we get a really good split-screen shot where the animation actually sw- switches to uh, 2D animation to get, like, that little extra up-close detail, too. Oh yeah, that's 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 another uh, technique the anime kind of uses. Whenever, whenever, whenever you see like side characters that are not that you know are never gonna have a you know spotlight in the series or something, they just switch over to two uh, D animation. And of course, they're not moving around or anything, you know. But like, I will admit it's a little noticeable. Like it's a bit more noticeable. A little. Doro Hidoro. Uh, I would say they figured out a more of a middle ground because like that's another three D anime. Three D anime. I kind of had to strike its own balance there, and you know, try to find its own thing. And I think it, I think it found, I think it found a better middle ground there. But 
I will say it makes it more it makes things more unique for B stars. Yeah. And I think it does get the effect that they were intending for. Yeah. And also another thing, like, uh, in this scene and in many other scenes throughout the season, like, uh, the split-screen uses are, like, really, really good and kind of and very clever. I mean, yeah, for, like, a series where, like, characters are talking quite a bit, yeah, you kind of need to gauge their responses quite well. Yeah, I mean, but, it really gets over their acting uh, in, a, in a much better way. Like, there's one scene in particular that I really like, the uh, split-screen, like, we'll get to it later, but it's, like, a really good, like, kind of matches, like, you know, split-screen with, like, a POV shot, too. Right, right, so good effect, good, good, uh, good techniques being used there. So later that night, while Louie attempts to provide extra practice for Tem's replacement late in the evening, Legoshi stands watch outside of the theater, but suddenly finds himself drawn to a certain bunny girl. Uh, Gare to take us through this moment. Oh, holy crap. Legoshi, his, he, he is standing guard at night, and he, but he smells something out in the dark, out in the fog. He sees something. He sees a rabbit-like figure. And then his instincts just take over, and he just, like, tackles... This rabbit girl, right to the ground, has her in an embrace, and he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> but he hears a voice, a very dark voice in his head, that is telling him, devour her. Give in to your primal instincts. Give in to your do instincts. It. And he's like pleading, like, no, no, I don't want to do this. I don't, no, please, just, just shut up. <laughs> Why not? You've been waiting 17 years of your life for this moment. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's, it's an effective moment. Yeah, I'll spice in some of it. This sound, is it mine? Is it yours? She feels so warm and small. She moves around a lot. Her breath is making my arm wet. Under her clothes, what's under her soft fur? Stop. What should I do? What should I? How satisfying will it feel in my mouth? The warm flesh. My hands won't stop. That's how it should be. You have struggled your entire life, and now you've reached your limit. Go away. Stop. You have suppressed your feelings ever since you were a kid. And you lived quietly in the darkness, haven't you? Is that sadness you're feeling? Or is it frustration? Stop! It's neither. You feel joy from the bottom of your heart. No. Stop. Stop. Look at me. Face yourself. Don't look away. I'm growing bigger. Can you see? I won't look. Go away. I know you're ready. The fun part is just starting. All it takes is one bite. Damn it. I can't. 
You longed for this taste for 17 years. Stop. Just end my misery. Give it to me. I'll eat you. I'll eat you. I'll eat you. This scene's super good, and, like, the direction here with, like, this big kind of shadowy figure, almost like his primal half of Legoshi is just goading him to, like, devour this rabbit right here. And, like, and another example of, like, them combining a 2D with 3D because, like, this shadowy figure is is done in 2D and, like, the way it kind of, like, walks around Legoshi and also kind of, like, morphs into him, too, or, like, how it faces him, like, he's having a conversation with himself. It's so good. Really, really well-rendered conflict here. And also, like, the shot that starts off the scene where he gets the the smell of the rabbit and kind of, like, we get, like, kind of an x-ray shot of inside uh, Legoshi and, like, you know, the scent flies through his nose and you see it go through his nostrils to, like, the back of his head and, like, it, the the fumes form, like, a rabbit's head, too. Oh, yeah, that's some, nice detail. That's some of the uh, creative liberty, some of the creative liberty the uh, animation, the uh, studio took with this series, of which they did take some liberties here, liberties here and there, not just in, like, adaption, but also in... Uh, just uh, portraying some certain scenes, uh, all of which I would say are quite effective. Yeah. And really, really good job by Jonah Scott here. Like, if, like, earlier scenes didn't sell you on him as Legoshi, then this scene should sell you as him, because he's really, really good. Mm-hmm. And this is a moment that just sticks with Legoshi for a good long while, and without saying much of anything, you can just see the look on his face, just thinking to himself, you know, the very next day, thinking, like, Oh God! What the hell did I just do? Seventeen years of self-control, and I almost go primal right there. Yeah, if not, if not getting, if not getting alerted by his fellow student who was practicing with Louis, it, things could have gone very differently. Yeah, and in a moment that uh, ends with Louis uh, pretty much uh, injuring his ankle, and an injury that will play into some uh, bigger scenes later on here. Yes, yes, definitely. But, uh, yeah, the following day, Legoshi can't shake this feeling from the previous night. Even watching two students, like, you know, go at it in a fight in the cafeteria causes him to almost lose it there. But luckily, Louis is able to bail Legoshi out of trouble for, before he gets into a fight and tries to to almost take a dive here so he doesn't want to fight another student. <laughs> Which also gets over his good boy nature, because he's not a fighter. I mean, yeah, that, that is quite nice to see. Although, uh, can, I just, can I just say right now that, like, uh, oh boy, these... Uh, <laughs> I couldn't help but notice these like cafeteria lunches. Like, <laughs> yeah. wow, this is like this is the kind of horrible crap that we missed out on. Oh, like man. after we left high school, <laughs> <laughs> soy like it's it's bad enough that you can't eat meat, but like you're giving you're being given like just eggs and soy donuts and like soy milk. Soy milk is not hard. even the good almond milk. Probably the soybean shit. Where's my fucking strawberry milk? Oh my god, the stuff that herbivores and carnivores have to deal with in this world. You know, because, like, carnivores, they can't eat meat, they can't eat their fellow, fellow students, it's pretty much outlawed in this world, but they gotta get their protein somewhere else, and they just basically kinda gotta go through the stuff that, like, vegetarians eat, but not vegans eat. Right, right, so, yeah, you're completely out of luck. There yeah. you go. 
What, you want a steak? No, portobello steak. Yeah, we can get you some tofu and dress it up like a steak, but that's it. <laughs> Have some fofu. <laughs> Tofurky. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> taste those curds. Mmm. And during the scene, we learn a bit about the title of Beastar, as it's uh, an academic and social role model that can unite both carnivores and herbivores. Yes, one is chosen from each school. Um... They they will not tell you when that actually happens. <laughs> when that fucking decision even comes. And uh, for anyone like new to be stars, can I also just tell you right now, I'm just going to nip this in the bud for you right now, do not obsess over this title of B-Star. Do not. It's, it is not the biggest deal in the series called B-Stars. <laughs> that sounds weird. But if you focus too much... You will miss out on, like, all the other stuff that this were all the other stories, and all the other ideas and themes that this series will be diving into. So please, do not obsess too much over the, the B-Star title. It will make sense eventually. It's uh, kind of like uh, Jojo Part 5 with uh, Giorno trying to become a gang star, you know? He says it in the beginning of the arc, but, like... After that, he never says it again until, like, at the end of the series. No, not really. It's like, <laughs> I, Journal Giovanna, have a dream to become the next gang star of Italy. Okay, I'm done with that. It's like, I'll tell you right now, no one in the series is looking to become the Pirate King, okay? Or, like, the Wizard King. Or, like, <laughs> yeah. fucking whatever. Like, just don't obsess over it. Yeah, just, it's a title. You'll get to it later. Just, just don't mind it. All will be understood. Paruitagaki has a plan here. Yes, she does. And Louis obviously is the frontrunner for the B-Star title. I mean, look at him. He's practically perfect in every in every way. Exactly. He's a, what, like, 32-point buck? Yeah. <laughs> look at the size of that rack on his head. <laughs> look at the size of that rack. Also, he's an absolute dream. <laughs> uh, later on, the drama club decides to get some roses to decorate a set piece in the play, and they give the job to Legoshi, who discovers that Haru is the sole member of the gardening club. And boy, can you say awkward right here. <laughs> and I love how immediately Legoshi tries to think of a way to just bail on here, but as soon as he does it, the student that he's with is just all like, oh, sorry, I, I got something to do. I, I gotta leave you alone here, Legoshi. Bye. Oh, yeah. Like, it's it's a real good fl it's a real good flex of the kind of uh, character acting that can be, like, done in the series. And the animation where, like, uh, Legoshi kind of whips himself down towards, like, this other student. Like, like wait, what? <laughs> and then he's just like, uh, 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 just shaking his head, and you can, like... Really good detail on his facial expressions here, and like all done in CG, which is amazing. Yes, because that's 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 where you realize that's where like the strength of this animation will really come in come in here. And I know like movies have like really good CG, but like this is television CG. This is streaming service CG right here, and it's done pretty well. Yeah. And oh man, Lego she is a super awkward mess, and it makes me love him even more. <laughs> but it ends up being a nice little scene between uh, him and Haru, and I kind of like the part where uh, we get an idea as to why Haru's in the gardening club you know she feels a connection with the flowers as they're both very small and fragile and uh, you know someone has to look out for them and she's that person though the scene here uh starts off pretty nice you know very nice and wholesome and then it gets it to a little uh can I just say that was really well done? <laughs> Thank you. Did you practice that? Yeah. <laughs> Good job, man. Thank you. <laughs> Gotta save that one. Yeah. <laughs> nice little voice clip or something. Yep. Yeah, I'll clip it. You gotta save that for a soundboard someday. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one day. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes, Haru Haru initially thinks that Legoshi is there for some flowers, but his nervousness is throwing her off a little bit. So she then begins to think, oh, maybe he's here for that. And then she's all like, well, I've always wanted to do it with a wolf. And another good use of split screen here where on one half it's Legoshi just kind of like awkwardly looking around, wondering what to do. And then on the other half, it's Haru uh, stripping down. And it just gets really, really awkward here. This gets re- this this is appropriately awkward. Yes, she strips down to her underwear and then tries to like uh, get uh, get close to Lego She, <laughs> and he does not know what the fuck is going on. Uh, watching the scene again for uh, the podcast, like I can't look at the scene anymore and not think of uh, the fucking editing uh, Kaiser Neko did for his uh, B Stars video he did for the Team Four Star YouTube. Where he was uh, talking about how Lara Jill Miller is playing Haru and how he couldn't believe that Kari from Digimon is playing this character and all the things she says. <laughs> and he does this edit where it cuts to this scene and then like it cuts to uh, Legoshi and he replaced his face with Garurumon's face. <laughs> oh. I saw that. I'm just like, Scott, for fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, that's, that's bad. <laughs> that's, that's bad. I loved it and hated it at the same time. <laughs> Oh god, yeah, but like how it's 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 both a scene that's like kind of hard to like take seriously because you're like laughing nervously because you're like oh we're we're going there we're going there because like even I had this reaction when I saw it originally in the manga I was like I was thinking initially like oh it's just gonna be kind of be like a shonen or something like I was kind of I still didn't have a very good grasp of like the genre but then I was like but then we got to this moment I was all like. Oh, this is more than any shonen right here. (laughs) Shonen never do go here. Nope. And that's when I was just like, oh, I'm all in for this series. (laughs) Not not because I was looking to get like titillated or anything, (laughs) but just because I was like, oh, this this is the kind of like subject matter that like I like to see a lot more in like anime a little bit. This is the kind of more like serious subject more matter. More serious grown up subject matter here. But then it hooks right back into like goofiness a little bit because then Legoshi is like, uh, I don't really know what's going on here. And Haru's like, oh, oh, you weren't here for that? Or like uh, there's a great bit here where he has, where uh, Legoshi has a line where he says, or like uh, Haru is kind of undoing his uh, belt buckle and he goes, is this some sort of greeting? Do, do others usually say hello through fellatio? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are you thinking, Legoshi? <laughs> and also there's like a bit where like she's rubbing his chest and I will say good fur textures there. Yes, very nice fur textures in there. And especially as she's saying like, wow, you have some glorious white fur on your chest. Let's see how far down it goes. <laughs> And uh, another thing I want to reference here is uh, also while watching the scene, I couldn't help but think of uh, something else. Where uh, it's a clip that uh, an acquaintance of ours, uh, Mark McPherson, uh, put in his uh, Horrors of Anime panel at uh, Anime Detour one year. Where it's uh, this clip of this old guy getting hit on by this young girl, and he's like, No, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm a virgin. No, don't do it. <laughs> no, don't do it. I'm a virgin. I want to see that clipped in now. Just over Legoshi's face. And if any of you people want to see that, uh, it's on his YouTube page. Search uh, Movies with Mark, and it's under Horrors of Anime 2016. Please watch. It's wonderful. It's amazing. Anyway, cue the record scratch as Legoshi tells Haru to get that Ganzion. You know, just 
cover yourself up, please, I don't want to see your whatnots. And after Legoshi runs away, it turns out Haru was actually kind of charmed by this. Like, he wasn't here for anything, and she's all like, huh, he wasn't here for anything. Or, no, well, she, yeah, she kind of just thinks to herself, like, huh, what a weird wolf. Yeah, but, yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that's never happened before. And soon after, Legoshi learns about Haru and how she gets around. But uh, that doesn't ruin his opinion of her. This whole, that whole scene may in the shed may have been weird and shocking, but, uh, you know, at the very end of it, Legoshi can kind of feel that deep down, she is a good person. You know, there's she is a good, she is a good person. Yeah. Anyway, let's return to the drama club as we learn about uh, some of the members and how unique they all are. As uh, there's a cheetah who worked as a dominatrix before getting into the club. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've got... Uh, there's a giraffe who can't look at herself in the mirror because she has uh, trypophobia. And there is a rhino student who thinks that the horn in front of their eyes is a guardian spirit. <laughs> so yeah, everyone's got their secrets. We're all a bunch of freaks. I mean, most of us don't like Moonlight as a dominatrix, but... <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if she's kind of like... Uh... Uh, a nervous kind of dominatrix, you know, the one from uh, that one Yakuza Zero side quest, How to Train My Dominatrix. <laughs> or maybe she's like the good one from Yakuza Like a Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you know, Yakuza series, you want to get see good representation of dominatrix, there, there you go. <laughs> I could launch into a whole bit about Sheila. <laughs> And her career as a dominatrix in this beastly world. <laughs> but I'm going to refrain for now. <laughs> I will refrain from that one at least. But like that is, I am passing up on a juicy bit right there. I will add one thing. I'm pretty sure she's used the phrase pig in human clothing more than once. <laughs> on an actual pig? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, that You have to pay extra for that. <laughs> Eat that slop pig. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, everyone's got their weird quirks and secrets, even Louis probably, as uh, his is the injury that he's been hiding before, and also another thing later on too. Uh, after this, we do get a scene between Legoshi and Louis, and uh, this is the scene where I was talking about where it has like a really good split screenshot where like, on one half it's Louis and it's kind of a close up on his face, and you see his eyes moving around, and then when you get to the shot of Legoshi on the side, you can see that the camera is actually kind of jutting around, acting as if it's his eyes kind of sizing him up a little bit, too. It's right, really it's, it's, it's a little jittery. It's kind of focusing on, like, Leg Legoshi's hand movements, which are, like, you know, ver animated very nervously. Yeah. And Louis, you can see visually on the, on the other side that he's kind of getting a little, like, obsessive, like, almost annoyed. It's, it's really effective. Yeah, and, like, in this scene here, he's, like, trying to, like, get Legoshi to bear his fangs, you know, you're a carnivore, like, why don't you act like one? Like, he even kind of, like, tries to put his, like, doesn't he, like, try to pull his arm towards him and just, like, say, give me a bite or something like that? Right, right. And, like, he sticks his hand, like, right into Legoshi's mouth and is just like, go ahead, take a bite! And then Legoshi's just like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what you want me to do. I can't do that. And it's just, ah, it's just, like, the kind of, like, relationship between these two. It's like, you know, who's the real predator and prey here? Right. Well, like, yeah, yeah. Like, there's a lot of yeah. You I mean yeah. You get this like in, early in the series. You get this like great sense of like pride in Louis. Like, he doesn't want to be like talked down a little bit. Like, he's got a bit of a like he's got a bit of an inferiority complex a little bit around like carnivores. Yeah. Like, really doesn't want to be looked down upon them. Yeah. He just has that out for him. And then after this, we get uh, to see the drama clubs play here. The story of Adler the Grim Reaper. What do you think of this here? Looks way better than any high school productions we had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, our high school production of Fiddler on the Roof was probably the best thing. I don't know if I ever saw that one. It was good. 
Oh, okay. I mean, like, I do, I do remember seeing a little while ago, like, a Wizard of Oz adaption that eh, I kind of liked. Yeah. Partly because, like, a neighbor of mine was in it, you know, but, like, I thought they put on a pretty good production. But, yeah, I did a little searching up on about this whole, like, uh, Adler play in this character, and apparently it's uh, based on a Terry Pratchett novel called Mort. Ah! Uh, <laughs> Terry Pratchett. I think that's, um... Shit, I think that's actually the... F I want to say that's the first novel he wrote with Death as the protagonist. <laughs> but yeah, Terry Pratchett... Oh my god, really? <laughs> yeah. A ter Terry Pratchett, the, the, the English humorist? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that I looked it up and I saw that. I'm just like, oh man, like, I know you've been reading one of his books recently. Well, yeah, like, I, 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 I can barely get through that one. But, like, I did read the, I did read Good Omens, which he wrote with Neil Gaiman at the very least. And that was really good. But, um, no, it's, I haven't read, like, too much of, like, the uh, Discworld series. But, yeah, Death, Death is a character over there, and he's a very, he's a very cool guy. He's a very cool guy. Yeah, and uh, this uh, whole play, it's focusing on, like, uh, Death, the Grim Reaper, all Adler, as kind of like, uh, you know, basically kind of like a hero to, like, this uh, young girl and kind of protecting her from, like, all these baddies that try to get at her. But, like, in the end, he has to, like, let her go because he's the Grim Reaper and he and she has to, like, die and go on to the afterlife. A character, Adler, that, that, that uh, Louis and the actors are really trying to code is herbivore as well. Yeah. That's a big point. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the end, the play is a big su success for its first performance, but uh, as soon as the curtain falls down, Louis collapses from his injuries. As it uh, turns out, Louis fractured his leg and won't be able to do uh, the second performance. And this reminds me, as uh, this exact same thing happened in uh, Uma Musume Season 2. Oh, they had an ankle breaking right there. Yeah, like uh, the main girl, Tokaiteo, wins the race, the first race in the season, and then on an injured leg, no less. And then when she does the post race idol performance, that's when she fractures it. Sorry, girl, we gotta put you down. <laughs> Time to become glue, Tail. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. I make those jokes all the time when I watch it. <laughs> So yeah, Louis going to be laid up for a little while, and the role of Adler for the second performance goes to Bill the Bengal Tiger, played here by Kaiji Tang here. Oh, this guy, his fucking guy Bill here. Getting really into the role, getting really into the idea of, uh, of a carnivore playing Adler, and uh, also seems a little too haughty for the role, maybe too much for his own good. Yeah, and uh, since he's taking the lead, uh, Bill's old role as one of the villains now goes to Legoshi, mostly because he's the only other person in the club that can fit in his costume. Right, who fits the size and stuff, but he's never acted before. Like, it's it's big role, dude, for you at least. And uh, during one of the rehearsals, we kind of get a brief taste as, of a little rivalry between the two where Bill is getting super intense with, like, this sword fight practice, and he's just getting all up into Legoshi's face and just egging him on, but you can also see that Legoshi isn't backing down from this, because he's also kind of holding his own in, like, this uh, pretend sword fight here. Yeah, it's the sense you're getting that uh, Bill has a lot to uh, prove here, you know, like, uh, the, one of the great things that the series does with this whole Adler play is playing it up that uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's about, like, it's about giving out, like, a positive portrayal of a uh, herbivore, you know, and having uh, Louis play as uh, the lead actor here, you know, and making him out the hero. Whereas the uh, the villains are, you know, heavily coated with, like, uh, carnivore actors. So, you know, Bill, you know, believes that this is kind of unfair. So he sees, you know, playing Adler here as a bit of a role where he can elevate... He can elevate carnivores in such a way to make them feel empowered, you know? Not just herbivores. 
Yeah, you know, carnivores are the real heroes here. You know, we can be heroes too. We're not the villains all the time. But you, but you, but it's, but it's, but it's interesting here, and in that he's kind of, you can kind of sense he's taking it a little too far, though. You know, like his heart is kind of in the right place, but he's just going about it really wrong. Right, you kind of get that sense initially right here. And uh, prior to the second performance, we see how Bill psychs himself up for the play as uh, Legoshi smells something on him, and it turns out he's doing rabbit blood. He has a little vial, takes a little sip of it, and he's just psyched up. It's basically like animal coke. Oh my god, like, I hope it's not like that or something. Like, you just do that and it has the exact same, like, coke or something. Maybe it's like an energy drink to them, like a five-hour energy. Or a four loco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he says he gets it, he got it from, like, an upperclassman that, like, just, like, sells their blood or something. And I'm just like, wow, to meet that person who's just, like, go, who just, like, has their own personal blood, bla- blood bank yeah. in their dorm room and, and it, like, goes to carnivores and they're just like, yeah, how much do you need? Do you need, like, a, like, a little vial? Do you need, like, four liters? <laughs> Uh, just a uh, need a little something to get me through uh, midterms, you know. Just a little psych, little little pick me up. <laughs> just a little sip, and you're just like, "All right, coach, I'm ready to go." Just, oh yeah, that's good. <laughs> I'm ready. Must be making some good money. Back to back anime we covered where drugs are involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And so the the second performance is underway, and folks aren't really taking to Bill as Adler. You know, the crowd's kind of doing the uh, the Citizen Kane bit where it, during the opera scene where they're just, like, having none of it, just looking around, playing with their playbills or whatever. Right, he's, like, you know, he's flubbing his lines a little bit because he's not getting the reaction he wants. He's just, so like, he, I feel like he also pauses a bit to kind of be like, eh? Anyone? <laughs> Come on, this is good. This is then good he's shit. got to pick up the pace, and it's like... Ugh. Yeah, he's he's getting nervous. He's like kind of just rushing through his lines too. It's just he's kind of falling apart here, but but he's still kind of thinking like, no, this is my big moment. Why is this happening? And then the play takes a drastic turn as a Lego she's part comes up, and he ditches the script and then just starts shooting on Bill here. Just starts pummeling the shit out of him. I know. Just like starts like bam. Just starts wailing on him. He fucking batters him like Homer beating up the crusty burglar. <laughs> Stop! Stop! He's already dead. Or is he? As Bill gets back up, you know, Lego she goes for another punch and Bill just catches his fist in midair. And then he just, like, picks him back up and just starts fighting back, too. Like, they just start brawling here. Yeah, very brief ball, brawl, but, uh, yeah, then then Bill takes Lego she right in his arms, you know. Tries to hide it from the audience a little bit. And, you know, he tries to make the point to him, like, uh... You should not feel any shame in being a carnivore, Legoshi. This is who we are. Like, we are carnivores. We are strong. Like, we cons- we consume flesh and blood, you know? And then, he just, like, you just hear the flesh being rent and Legoshi just recoiling as Bill just claws his entire back and says, Here, now you have stripes as well. <laughs> We are the same Lego she. Brother! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. And, it, and there's also a part where he's all like asking him about the rabbit blood, and he said, like, How do you know what rabbit smells like? Have you been around one? I think you have. Ah. Uh. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really, really good here. <laughs> but in the end, Louis saves the day, you know, even on a broken leg, he's able to like come in and just be a fucking hero and kind of like basically assume the role of Adler saying like no you are an imposter 
I am the real Adler. Gets a huge prop from the crowd. Ugh. And, man, what improv skills does this guy have, too? Yeah, quite, like He's, he's quite amazing. Nice. Like, expect nothing less from, like, the lead actor here. <laughs> and, yeah, because of this uh, whole situation, uh, Louis intended to suspend Legoshi and Bill from the drama club because he has every right to, considering they went into business for themselves. But he doesn't, due to the publicity they've been getting for better or for worse. You know, like, the next day, he's just reading on the right act, and then all a bunch of students and, like, the newspaper club come in and saying, like, hey, what was up with that performance? That was really good. Did you plan this? Like, tell us more about this. And it's just, ah, uh, they pulled the classic play goes wrong, but uh, but it's all good. Everyone loved it trick. <laughs> and uh, also around this time, we meet uh, another character here, a real a real number one boy of Beastars, a good, the goodest boy. It's Jack, played here by Ben Diskin. Oh, Jack the Labrador. Uh, look at him, standing up on his hind legs like a little Rory Calhoun. Yes, Legoshi's best friend. I love doormate. Him. I love him so much. <laughs> just kind of talking to Legoshi about the play and just how everything happened and how like he and him, Bill and Louie are practically famous around the school. And then also around the, isn't around this time where like he's talking about like uh, if Legoshi is kind of interested in some girl and he's all like, wait, are you? Yeah, he's like asking Legoshi, like, what are you feeling? Are you feeling kind of like weird lately? Like you've been kind of like acting kind of weird or something. I don't know, could something be off? Could you be in love? <laughs> and can I just say Ben Disgan does like a, a neat little, it feels improv. Yeah. Little... He doesn't, he doesn't almost like improv a little like jig or something and a little like sings a little song to himself like, I'm in love, I'm in love, Legoshi. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, please clip that in. I will. <laughs> Could it be you fell in love? Oh, my tail swinging, maybe I'm in love. Le, 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 What? Are you serious? You? Comes as a surprise to Legoshi. Yeah. And then Legoshi's just all like, I don't know. Am I? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> don't hurt me. No more. <laughs> Uh, but after some time has passed, it's time to prepare for the Festival of the Meteor, a festival basically to honor the spirits of dead dinosaurs, which raises questions as to what were dinosaurs like in this world. Many questions that will not be answered. <laughs> like, what, would they be like Tina from Gumball or the characters from the Dinosaur Show? I, I have no idea. Like, th like what? <laughs> Worshipping the dinosaurs because they were the predecessors? Maybe for the birds or something, but, like, what about for, like, the mammals? Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't you be worshipping, like, I don't know, the fish that evolved into them? Or are they, like, your universe's version of Jesus or something? Yeah. Uh, the scripture of the dinosaurs, as foretold by the book of Genesis, and lo, the T-Rex said, Turn off that rock and rock music. Hey, don't have a stegosaurus, man. In the beginning, there was land, Pangea, and then a fucking meteor. <laughs> And soon all the dinosaurs were dead. And they and then they were brought back to life in a land called Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not many people know, but in this world, The Land Before Time is a biblical film. <laughs> it's, it's the Ten Commandments of this world. <laughs> Charlton Heston is Littlefoot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's just great. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, the the funny questions this world raises. Oh, yeah. 
probably won't answer, but hey, we can speculate and have fun with it. <laughs> Ooh, but meanwhile, we get a nice scene where Haru finally stands up to her bullies and they run away in fear. Though, though not from her, though, from laying the verbal smackdown on them. It's because they saw Legoshi lurching up behind her. And then the two of them have dinner together, and Legoshi just struggles with his feelings here. And yeah, I love him, awkward mess, good boy here. Ah, uh, but Haru is also kind of struggling a little bit. Doesn't really know what to say to Legoshi. In fact, every instinct she is having is telling her to run away. Her flight or fight response is just really, really going off here. Yeah, so it's tough for her. And also really another good shot where, like, uh, you know, she's sitting there, elbows on the table, smiling at him. But, like, anytime Legoshi's mouth opens up to eat, you just see, like, these kind of scribbles, this, like, darkness scribbles around yeah, her. Yeah, even, like, Le- Legoshi, she has, like, shadowy instincts that are telling her to, like, you know, act like act like her species. It's, they're all just saying, like, run away, run, run. Run from the predator. Yeah, man, and, like, you just cut the tension with a knife here. <laughs> and also another thing here is, like, uh, they don't even know each other's names here at this point. Yeah, you know, just, like, just invite each other out to dinner just for, like, one night, you know. And then, like, if she, throughout the entire time, is just trying to go, like, I really want to know her name, but I don't know the best way to go about it without making it weird. <laughs> it's like, it's already weird, man. Just go for it. <laughs> and, like, and also with Legoshi, he can't, he can't even tell, like, his interest in Haru. Is it, like, is he actually attracted to her, or does he just want to eat her? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a lot of thinking and a lot of, and a very big, like, moral dilemma he's kind of going, going through here initially. Uh, I'm in a constant state of horngry here. <laughs> But in the end, they do learn each other's names, and it's actually pretty sweet. <laughs> but you know what isn't sweet? More murder! <laughs> As uh, another herbivore has been uh, killed and eaten. Oh, uh, man, just gotta, you gotta, gotta keep watch on all these herbivores that are getting picked off like flies here. Mm, a lot of like a lot of herbivores in the society, man. Can't look on all of them, you know? Yeah. There's actually, like, rules in place that tell them, like, yeah, don't don't walk around at night alone or anything. Don't go down any dark alleys. <laughs> no, like, always have a friend around. Like, do not be a herbivore alone. And yeah, yeah you, and you see the effects of that, too. Like, it, it's causing, like, anxiety between, uh, like, herbivores and carnivores. Where, like, Legoshi and uh, Jack are, you know, playing a game of, like, checkers or whatever with, like, some herbivore students. And they're just like, yeah, man, like, uh, we gotta get going or something. You win. And, like, you see that the TV in the background is playing the news report and then that's just kind of, like, turning them off on the whole on the whole game. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 really, it's, it's you really get, you get a great sense of the discomfort that this is kind of causing. Yeah, like, I know Zootopia kind of pulled, like, the, you know, kind of the race symbolism in their movie pretty well, but, like, here, it's, like, you're really going for it. it it's, I, I think it's used better in Beastars. It is, like, really exceptionally well and kind of even more realistic than Zootopia was. Right, right. Because, you know, Zootopia was a lot more, like, loud with, like, how that uh, prejudice was being portrayed in that movie. But in Beastars, I like that uh, a lot of the prejudices you see are so much more, like, subtle and, like, just below the skin, uh, especially later in the series when you see, like, some really serious bad effects that uh, this culture of uh, ignoring and, like, silence and, you know, awkwardness that is really caused. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really good. I, I cannot stress <laughs> enough. It's really good. It really is. And, uh, of course, causing all this tension around the school, uh, this leads to the, some of the carnivores getting hassled by some of the other students. One in particular... And uh, this uh, student uh, is a wolf girl named Juno, played here by Lauren Landa, and ain't she cute? 
Uh, Legoshi does come to her aid and gets the boys to uh, piss off here by making up a story saying that they're both siblings and that he's just here to watch over her, you know? Yeah, so get out of here, man. I'm like, yeah, let's get out of here, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I fucking love that bird guy's little taunt where, like, the animation looks like he's supposed to be squawking, but he's all like, <laughs> <laughs> Like, the first time I saw that, I just kept replaying that over and over. I'm just like, wait, let me see that again. <laughs> Good move, studio. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But uh, how about this meeting between these two here? Yeah, quite, I, I, uh, quite, quite interesting. Like you can kind of see where it's going. I mean, I the the, the first thing that pops in your head is love triangle. <laughs> Bam! Right ah! There. But of course, it's Lego she. So you know to expect it's going to be. A uh, very slow development. Yeah, very messy, you know. Juno's not going to be the Minnie Mouse to his Mickey Mouse here. But, uh, no, the, you, you do read a lot in, like, the, the character of Juno there. Like, yeah, she, like, when she first meets Legoshi, you know, she does get taken in by his kindness a bit. But you see that she's, like, also, like, advancing things very quickly in her head. Like, oh, what a nice wolf boy. Like, oh, my, isn't he so nice? Like, isn't he so perfect? Like, shouldn't we be together? Yeah, like, she's very much, like, drawn to the fact that uh, she is going to be in the drama club, too, and, like, she heard that there was another wolf boy in the club, and she's all like, oh, wolf boy, you know, wolves gotta stick together, it's the pack mentality here. Right, right. But uh, later on, Legoshi and a group of friends are assigned to go into town and collect some info for the festival, but uh, Louis tells them specifically that while they're out, not to go near the black market. You know, now boys... Don't you go near that black market. And then uh, Bill, who's with him, goes all like, Okay, I'm going to walk this way, and if I end up in the black market, it's your own fault. <laughs> also, if I start biting, oh, oh, and someone's finger just so happens to fly into my mouth, it's their own fault. <laughs> oh, look what we have here. A guy trying to sell us a bite of his fingers. <laughs> oh my god, it is exactly just that. <laughs> uh, we enter the black market and... Oh my god, what a fucking place this is. Yes, the the, the, the gang uh, is, led by, uh, is led by Bill. Uh, accidentally, and I say that with quotation marks, <laughs> end up near the uh, black market here. And um, can I just say that like it was phenomenally fucked up when I saw this in the manga? Because the first intro we get to it is seeing this uh, elderly homeless taper, you know, urge Legoshi to come near him. And just offer, and just be like, "Oh, would you like what I'm selling, young boy?" And he raises his hands, and it's just like, like cut off fingers with like viscera you can see. And he's all like, "The the index finger costs more. If you're going to bite it off, be sure to do it in one chomp. Can you do that for me?" And seeing that <laughs> originally in the manga kind of fucked me up a little bit. <laughs> Because that's when I realized, like, wow, this is the compa- this is the capacity for darkness this series is going for. A literal homeless person offering up their fingers to be eaten by carnivores for money. Yeah. What the fuck? It's nuts. And from the perspective of any other animal looking at this black market, it's probably even more fucked up. Because you just see rows of stalls with meat being sold. And, like, to us people, us humans, we see this and go, like, okay, it's like a meat market. But when you think about it in the context of this world, this is some gruesome shit It right is here. phenomenally fucked up. It's like, 
these were your peers, like people you probably would have met on the streets. These and were living beings who like loved and lived and they're they're being sold for three fifty the for three fifty a pound. They're being turned into cutlets and shish kebabs. <laughs> <laughs> they're being put in deli slicers and served <laughs> alongside potato salad. <laughs> Peking duck, get your crispy Peking duck. <laughs> hey, duck man. <laughs> and like Legoshi is just trying to get away from like the first homeless guy, and he's he's made the mistake of like walking right through the middle of the black market, and he's just he can't control himself. Like all the sense is just like overstimulating him. Oh yeah, because he's like driven by like uh, Bill and uh, his his like eagle friend Aoba, who are just like, come on, this is totally normal. Like when we become adult carnivores. We're all gonna have to take advantage of this. It's not a secret. Like we're gonna end up using the bat, this uh, black market right here. It's only in our nature. It's only in our nature, and Legoshi can't accept that. So he just, he just <laughs> runs away. Like he, he just can't accept this. And when he finds himself finally at the end of, end of it all, and has all of that out of view, he's just, he's just like sadly struck in with the fact that like this whole time, he couldn't stop salivating like a Pavlovian dog. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so fucked up. And here he runs into the back alley doctor of the black market, introducing Panda Man from One Piece. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, this is uh, this is actually Going, played here by Keith Silverstein. And what do you think of his introduction here? I well, I will say right now, Gohin is one of my favorite characters in the entire series. He's pretty great. I mean, even when I saw him from his initial introduction, carrying like. You know, a bamboo carrying stick and stuff. And I saw his design. I was just like, oh, this th this guy looks cool. I'm just like, I just want more of him. Because he's got, like, the, the stylized, like, you know, black eye splotches and stuff. That, yeah. Like, kind of emote along with him, you know. He's got, like, the little bamboo twig sticking out of his like mouth. Like a cigarette. <laughs> like, like, oh, it's it's like one of, like, probably my favorite design in the entire series, Gohin here. And, also, and I love him even more for what he does. Yeah, and also, fitting choice from Itagaki making him a panda, since they're omnivores. You know, they get, they eat meat, but they can survive entirely on just, like, bamboo and grass for the rest of their lives. In fact, he, he does actually, in fact, Gohin does actually mention that as, like, a little bit of a plot point as well. <laughs> that he gets by just fine on, like, eating bamboo. And also he works out, too, because uh, he's got some brief... Oh yeah, he's he's Dr. Beef right here. And I love seeing him, you know, kind of raise one arm and kind of gives Legoshi the gun show. Just like, yeah. <laughs> and in the in the framing too where it's just like you see Legoshi in the background going in the foreground and then kind of like his arm and bicep kind of makes like a frame where and then like right where his bicep is, Legoshi's face is like right above that just looking straight at his guns right there. <laughs> it's perfect. Ah, uh, but it's not a regular doctor visit for Legoshi with uh, this guy right here, though. Just immediately, like, Legoshi, when he, like, you know, he loses consciousness, and this panda doctor picks him up. But when he wakes up, he's just in restraints, with, like, a light showing on him. Like, let me let me take over here for a second, because I love Gohin so much. Yeah, like, go, his, go right his ahead. Place in this, his place in Beastar is so genius. So he is the he is the back alley doctor of the this uh, back alley market here, and, uh... What he does is that he uh, looks around for carnivores that have really lost control of themselves and have given them into their given into their feral, feral instincts, and he tries to take them in and rehabilitate them if they can in order to curb their uh, predatory instincts. Because initially, when he captures Legoshi, he thinks Legoshi probably just got back from like eating like a herbivore or something, 
And so he starts, like, talking to him and interrogating him and, like, beating down, just being like, you think you know what's going on here, but you really don't. Like, this is what really goes on with carnivores that, like, don't curb their instincts. And it's, like, almost like something, like, out of a scared, scared, scared straight program <laughs> where he shows Lego sheet pictures of, like, carnivores that have, like, eaten off limbs because they couldn't get the taste of meat out of their mouths or, like, went bald due to the stress. And he's just like, I try to help you, I try to help carnivores like you, whether you like to or not, so that we don't end up with dead herbivores, and so that you end up healthy in the end. It's like a dentist showing a kid the big book of British smiles. I know, it is kind of <laughs> like that. But, uh, no, like, then, like, Legoshi kind of talks to him more, and, um, you know, Goheen kind of, like, shows a little bit more of, a uh, a little bit more of the, a little bit more carrot than stick, you know. As, he, uh, as they talk more, and uh, you find out that this is kind of what Goheen does with all his patients, just uh, talks with them and kind of just, like, you know, discusses some of their issues and whatnot and how they've kind of been feeling, you know. And uh, But then the situation turns when Legoshi mentions that he's been getting very interested in a small rabbit girl, and Goheen just immediately tells him, oh, yeah, no, you gotta break that off. Then, like, he asks him more about uh, Haru, and then, like, he eventually gives Legoshi a uh, bunny porn. <laughs> Because <laughs> he's, yeah, because he just says, like, you know, if you're not, you know, if you're not really interested in eating her, then it could probably be that you just have a rabbit fetish. <laughs> so, you know, try this out just for a little while and test yourself. Uh, look at this. If you get a boner, then you have a thing for rabbits. But if the little general's at ease, then you're just hungry. Yeah, if you're just drooling all over it, then, like, you, we're going to need some more therapy. <laughs> uh, like, she's all like, I don't need your help or your dirty magazine. You know, when you say that, you're supposed to give the magazine back. I do what now? Because <laughs> he does take it with him. Yeah. <laughs> I like, oh, well, you didn't give it back. <laughs> it's like, fine, keep it. I, more where that came from. <laughs> Somewhere back there, Goheen just has like a big stack of like porn of like every different species or something. <laughs> and he's all like, thank you, DeviantArt.com. <laughs> Uh, but afterwards, Legoshi has a nice moment where he uh, takes solace knowing that he wasn't alone and feeling creeped out by the black market as uh, Eagle Boy Alba also hated that place too. And he even stands by Legoshi as he's having like a good cry about it too, just lets all of his emotions out, just like, I'm not alone here. And uh, meanwhile, I'm assuming Bill's just still at the market, just stuffing his fucking face. It's like, you know, I don't need it, I don't need anything with a head on it, but luckily for me, Bacon doesn't have a head on it. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't come up in the anime here, but, like, in the manga, yeah, he does mention that he did, did like, bite one of those, that old man's fingers off. Yeah. <laughs> this fucking guy. <sighs> I know. So, at this point, we reach the halfway point of the show, so we're gonna take a short break, and we'll be right back with the rest of Beastar Season 1. Thank you. 
was the moment I discovered the small rabbit and my instincts. Why don't you take responsibility for your own strength? Coexistence? What a joke! I'm just so frustrated at myself. Carnivores are all the same in nature. I'm tired of running. You should just take me. I don't care anymore. We kick off this second half with a nice little story all about a hen named Legom, played here by Reba Burr. Care to tell us her story? Uh, yes, I can. Legom's story is very simple. <laughs> <laughs> Legom is a hen. Uh, she is. Uh, she sits right next to Lego Shin class. She's not very sociable with him, but the one connection she does have with him is that he eats egg sandwiches, and they're the best egg sandwiches he's ever tasted. And that's because the eggs used inside them come from Legome. Legome sells her eggs to local markets, and she takes a lot of pride in keeping her health up so that she can lay the best eggs out there to make the best egg sandwiches. And seeing Lego she's so happy to eat them makes her happy. Until one day, when Lego she comes to class, and he does not take a bite out of one of her sandwiches. He didn't even get one. It turns out they've been really bad lately. And this makes Legom faint out of nowhere. <laughs> she consults to her friends. She says, how can my eggs be bad? How could they possibly be bad? I provide for everyone. I work really hard. But, like, it's something went wrong with them. Is that something wrong with me? Until she finds out that the seller switched the days when they sell the egg sandwiches there. So Legoshi is not getting the sandwiches that she that are made with her eggs. And so she feels happy again as she realizes, oh my gosh, they just got so they just got sold on another day. Well, so long as Legoshi is just eating egg sandwiches on another day, well then, I can still spread the happiness of my eggs now, can't I? This is a bit of a layover from Paru Itagaki in her Beast Complex days, I think, a little bit. She does this a lot in Beastars, especially later on, where she will take uh, little asides and tell these smaller stories within her world. Uh, happens a few t happens a few t other times later in the series. But, uh, according to some like good commentary I've heard it there, uh, Jack, Jack Sane in particular made a very good point. Because uh, like, some people who watch this were probably thinking to themselves, why was this kept in the anime? Because some other stuff does get cut out of the anime. But why was this little snippet left in? And I think he made a very good point that Legom is a very good example of the kind of behavior in the world of Beastars that is encouraged. Because whereas you see with Legoshi, he is struggling very hard with his carnivore instincts. Because so much of his instincts are telling him that to eat meat, that like, you know, to be a carnivore, you gotta eat meat. And that not only that, but that you should feel shame for feeling such a thing. Legom's behavior, as we can see from the outset, is is a little messed up as well. She's like obsessed very much over eggs and like how they are and how they appeal to other people and how she can impress other people and you know and how you know and you know like the the market value that they have. But that's viewed as normal. That's very obsessive behavior that is viewed as normal within this world. Whereas Lego, she has a real problem. 
but he can't talk to anyone about it because it is viewed as uh, deviant behavior. And that is why the Legom story is so important. It is to show what is normal in this world. Whereas what Legoshi is feeling, what other people are feeling, uh, other carnivores and stuff, is deviant. It is outside the norm. And not only that, but it is something that you should feel shameful for. Even though it is, as we see in this world, it is literally baked into your biology. Right. So that's that's the point of the Legom story. It's actually a very nice story. I kind of dug this little aside here. No, oh, get set, because later in the series you'll get more like that. Oh, very good. <laughs> Legom is just uh, one is just one little one little such story within the world of Beastars. stars. And also, she's now like basically uh, part of Itagaki's uh, avatar in both real life and in their manga too. Oh yeah, because whenever she makes public appearances, she's always she intend, she likes to wear a chicken mask. Yeah, and it's designed specifically after Legom. Right, right. So that, that's pretty cute. Also, a uh, side note here, I should uh, mention uh, her actress, uh, Reba Burr. Uh, she was in another Netflix anime this past year, as uh, she played uh, Nikaido in Dorohidoro. Oh, how nice! Yeah, so yeah, I got to be in two big series in the, the same calendar year. I just had a starring role, too. Shit, that's good. Yeah. Anyway, after this, we get a very beautifully animated little scene with uh, Haru done entirely in colored pencil, no less. Yeah, yeah, oh my god, this looked gorgeous. I just, I first time I saw this, I'm just all like, can this animation team do no wrong? Right, because in the manga, it doesn't. It's not really much of a flex in the manga. You know, it's just like you know, relatively just like a you know, ima- imagine sequence of her going through like all these trees and you know, like the trees turn into antlers and stuff. It's really nothing too much special. But the studio mm, just makes it into this like colored pencil like art like just just piece of art and like literally colored pencil. Like the artist drew the drew. Frame by frame, this entire scene with pencils on paper. Look, making it look like a storybook and stuff. Yeah. Oh. Like, it kind of reminds you a bit of, like, a uh, bit of a scene that I remember seeing from uh, Tale of Princess Kaguya. Kind of, like, almost like almost watercolor style scenes that they have in that movie. Yeah, yeah, it looked really gorgeous. But yeah, as we see her go through this forest and, like, come out of it as they turn into a very lonely... F- as, as the forest turns very lonely and turns into antlers... <laughs> And they are the antlers of Louie. As we see, Haru and Louie are getting down. How about this development? I mean, it was even more shocking to me in the manga because Paru Itagaki, um, uh, she, she, it's, 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 it goes harder in the manga a little bit. Not like too much, but like there's more implied fondling and like. There, there's some implied thrust from Louie, too. Face in the pillow, go like the clappers. Not like that. It's, it's, well, it's more missionary style. <laughs> <laughs> that remains the same. <laughs> but, like, there's, there's, let's just say there's some implied motion there in the manga. <laughs> like, very well implied. Like, there's, it's a very, ex, it's a very ecstatic moment. <laughs> and I was, I, and I was taken aback by that. I'm just like, Wow. <laughs> Wow. Don't know if I should be reading this in public here. <laughs> NSFW marked. <laughs> Hashtag that. Tag this, please. <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, yes, sex in my manga. Hell yeah. <laughs> More fucking, please. <laughs> uh, and during this time, we also get to see a flashback between the two where we get to see their first meeting. And uh, during the first meeting, we see uh, Louis losing his baby horns here. <laughs> And it reminds me of how, like, uh, yeah, deer tend to, like, shed their horns as they get older, and, uh, with their, and, like, sometimes with their antlers, it kind of looks super fucking metal. 
Oh yeah, because like because like they're drop they drop right from the head, you know. Yeah. Like and and uh, it can look kind of gruesome underneath because like that is just like a natural process, but like blood comes out of it as well. Yeah. And I know so there's like some species of deer or out there where like uh, they do keep their antlers, but their antlers kind of grow like a bit of like uh, almost kind of like a skin on top of them, and then like once they shed that off, it just looks like they have just. meat and shit just like oh yeah that's that's when ears. like they're growing new ones new ones and, like, yeah and that's the felt that like that's uh on them and stuff that's like coming out of their head but they eventually have to shed that felt yeah and it just Again. like it looks and it just peels right off and it's bloody underneath it looks like these deer have just gotten into like a big fight like they just like they they all every time it happens they look like they just gored another deer yeah <laughs> it's really gruesome looking but yeah. also kind of badass fucking metal <laughs> <laughs> so just seeing louis here just kind of reminded me of that i'm just like man deer can be kind of cool they can be <laughs> and uh, all this adds another element to the lego she and haru angle especially uh when he almost walks in on them in the throes of activity <laughs> Or like you know, Louis is just kind of getting dressed, and then he opens up the the blinds to the shed, and then Lego she's just standing right there, and he's just like, "Oh, Louis, what what are you doing here?" He's like, Nothing. I'm just here to talk to the gardening girl. Oh, you know, yeah, we're friends. What do you want? <laughs> but yeah, here we learn that uh, Louis and Haru have a bit of a closer relationship compared to other boys. Yeah, and like Haru, like even though she does sleep around, like it seems like. Louis is, like, the only boy that she kind of felt a real deeper connection to among some of the other suitors. Right, right. Even though she remarks that, you know, he's very, he's, you know, he has a very sad look to him, you know, every time they're in the throes of passion. But Louis seems like he can really confide in Haru quite a bit. And, you know, I, I'm i not really the kind of person who really cares for love triangles, but, uh, you know, love triangles between a wolf, a deer, and a rabbit? Tell me more. I mean, it, it does kind of like go into one of the other points with B stars, which I which I think has up to its success that I think needs to be acknowledged, which is that it is just like a legitimately good teen drama. It is. <laughs> like this is probably one of the best teen dramas I've seen in anime. I think this is one of the only teen dramas I can even recall watching. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen quite a few and eh, but this oh yeah, this, this Like I'm all down for this. This is some good shit here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Louis starts to suspect that Legoshi might be into Haru, and he tries to deflect him by telling him that he should be around his own kind, like Juno. You know, hey, there's another wolf in here, why don't you go talk to her? Mm. And talk to her he does, as uh, these uh, these two share kind of a nice scene together, though she starts to get real uh, squishy around him. Yeah, yeah, get, tries to get a little too close to Legoshi. Yeah, like, you know, tries to practice her dance for the upcoming performance at the festival, and then she's all like, hey... Legoshi, why don't you dance with me? You know, we can get close together, up close and personal. And then they're just interrupted by other students, <laughs> you know, getting cock blocked by your own classmates. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> the scene afterwards with this. Poor Jack and his innocence taken away as he finds Legoshi's rabbit porn. <laughs> <laughs> like he finds it just looking for him and he finds it on his bed and he's all like, what? He. This he's he's into this. He he always seemed like kind of a nice kid, and he flashes back to a little Lego she playing with bugs and stuff. And now he can't imagine that little kid growing up spanking it to a rabbit porn. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tries to like talk to Lego she about it, saying like, "Hey man, it's okay if you find bunnies attractive. We've all had a Lola bunny phase. It's perfectly normal." <laughs> Lego she just immediately grabs him by both shoulders and can't even say anything. So he's just mouth agape. <laughs> he's like looking all scary. He's just like. Yeah. Jack's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, bro. Just please close your mouth. You look scary. If it makes you feel better, I can tell you some of my fetishes. 
I, I jack off to Border Collies once per month. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that show, Road Rovers? Oh, Colleen, got my motor running. <laughs> uh, while he tries to deny it, Legoshi does eventually come to terms with his feelings for Haru, and also his jealousy towards Louie. As a, there's a scene where he kind of sees the two of them talking while he's uh, preparing at the festival, and he just gets just so intense that his fist just clenches like a bunch of paint in his hands, and it just splatters all over the place. And then in a in a scene that in a in a in a scene that like lo- I admit looked better in the manga, he kind of like kind of he you know he kind of comes to the conclusion. Oh yeah, that's right. And he like, and you can see that he's like, it looks like he's smearing the paint off. He's trying to smear the paint off his hand, but he's clearly wiping away drool as he realizes, Haru, I think I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Looked better in the manga, I will say. I can imagine, especially like in black and white, because the color kind of takes away from it. Right. But still, (laughs) this is good here. (sighs) Yeah. So the first preparations for the Meteor Festival are finished. And uh, when Haru finds herself alone at dusk, Legoshi offers to go back to school with her, but uh, struggles with this inner conflict between his uh, carnivore instincts and his uh, love for Haru. Uh, probably just walk out, walks up to her and says, Haru, you fucking Louie! I mean, want to walk home together? <laughs> well, the two wait for the train. They have a one-on-one conversation, and I kind of I really like the framing here for this conversation where they're sitting on like a bench, and then in the background you see like this big sign that says "We love vegetable," that kind of <laughs> lording over them here. It's like we got. It's like got milk. It's yeah. that same kind of campaign they're trying to put over vegetables. A little bit, but also kind of like it's kind of like basically the society saying like, "Don't you do it, Legoshi? You're probably thinking of eating her. Don't eat her. Eat veggies." <laughs> no, but what about this moment here? Uh, like, very, very well translated from the manga. Very well translated from the manga as we just as Legoshi tries to tries to reach out to Haru and try and give her some like helpful advice a little bit. But he is kind of coming across as condescending to her a little bit, and she points it out, and she and she points out quite openly, like you are never gonna know what it feels like to be me, and also it just really shows that he really has no experience with this whatsoever because he's also kind of like unintentionally coming off as a little creepy here, like he's kind of forcibly grabbing her arm right there, and everyone's around them watching and kind of. Going like, oh, what's this guy up to here? Right, but because of, and because of like carnivore prejudice within, within the world, it's also coming around because they're all automatically thinking that he's like a violent carnivore and that he's like assaulting her as well. Like it's it's and that, but Haru, knowing that like the cops are not going to give him a break, just like to, grabs his hand and is just like, come on, let's run, let's get out of here. And then the two manage to to escape from the cops there, and then, like, they kind of do reconcile at the end of this, you know, but there still is that kind of tension in the air between the two right here. Yeah. Like, they're nowhere near close as possibly hooking up. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite tense. Oh, I think this is the moment we want to talk about. Let's talk about Louie and his gun. Yeah, because, like, this, this is the point where, like, there's, okay, this is, this is, this is weird to me. This is, I'm just gonna say right now, this is weird to me, because they do this little cut right here, and it's very quick. It's very quick, where you just see... Louis get his hand accidentally clawed by Bill. And you see some of these, like, predatory graphics come up, you know, from, like, other carnivore students. And, uh, you know, it can, it's and it's a very quick cutaway. And very next scene, we just see Louis coming in scene with, like, a bandaged hand. But this this is something that got cut out of the anime. This is something that got cut out of, out of, got cut out of the anime that was in the manga. And there was this nice little moment... This, this, this moment. 
Bill takes Louie uh, into the back room to like apologize for accidentally clawing his hand and bandage it up. But because it's Bill, Bill, <laughs> Bill uh, has a bit of pride as a carnivore. And Louis does not like carnivores because they all look down on him and he wants to be viewed as an equal to carnivores. So Bill is really pushing Louis in the scene and kind of making, and you know, making, intentionally making Louis very uncomfortable. And Louis is just like, what are you doing, Bill? Like, get back from me or something. Like, what? Like, you're just a little afraid of a carnivore right here? Like, come on, Louis. I thought we were equals. And then <laughs> Louis pulls out a gun. <laughs> And points it right at Bill's head. He pulls out his gun. And he's just like, don't touch me. Don't even move. What, you're surprised? You're surprised that a herbivore would look for some protection? There's all sorts of means of protection for herbivores these days. So get back. Get down. Get down. <laughs> you think you're gonna look you think you're gonna look down on me? You don't look down on me. I look down on you. Don't even think for one second. That we are equals. <laughs> <laughs> and he just looks like he's straight up <laughs> about to go gangster on Bill's ass and execute him right there. He's gonna be like the drug dealer in Denny from the room. <laughs> but then he realizes his blood is like dripping down his arm, you know, and he's like, my blood is dripping. I'm gonna go get fixed up. Go ahead. Lick that blood off off the ground, you filthy animal. <laughs> and then he walks out. And Bill is just lying on the ground, shell-shocked. <laughs> so you can understand why when, when you go into the anime. Like, and we see this, and we see, like, these next moments. Bill, I'm surprised, is not, like, just shaking the whole time. <laughs> God, I wish that was left in. God, I wish that was left back in. It is such a badass moment. Just Louis packing heat. Louis packing heat on school grounds and threatening his fellow student. And Bill, no less, like this jackass of the club. Yes, Bill the jackass. <laughs> Just gets put in his place by Louis. Finally. Holy shit. <laughs> it's 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 a t it's 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 a really intense moment in the manga. God, I wish that was in there. Oh, I wish there was time. If only. Man, the things that get, get, have to get cut out for time. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. But afterwards, we get a scene between Louie and Juno, and this is where things kind of get interesting here, because we kind of get, uh, we kind of see that uh, Juno isn't really as uh, nice as she really seems, you know? Not as naive as she looks. No. And she's actually kind of has her own plans for what to do in the school as she wants to become the next beast star over Louie. And also she is definitely after Lego. She's heart. Yeah, definitely wants to, yeah, she makes her motives pretty clear to Louie in a uh, pretty threatening scene where she's kind of got him down on the ground and, you know, he can't get back up and she makes it pretty clear to him that like, now she knows her place as a carnivore. Like she knows that like, there's no shame in being one. She wants to be the beast star to elevate other carnivores up to the level of herbivores. And because she knows her place, she knows what she wants. She wants Lego she. And together they will be the perfect wolf couple. And Louie, there isn't anything he's going to do about it. And now thinking about it, man, I wish we had the scene with Bill from before. Because like having both of these scenes back to back sounds really good. Like one scene where like Louie is like in power towering over someone. 
but followed up by a scene where like he's the one kind of being like pinned to the ground too. Right, he's just pinned down by an by an underclassman no less too. Yeah, <laughs> you know he he stands up to Bill this this brick shit house of a Bengal tiger, but then he gets pinned down by you know sweet little Juno. I know two great scenes for Louis showing a great dichotomy with him, man. The, the, again, I wish wish we had those back to back. Yeah, just wish. Louis probably thinking like, oh, I wish we had that scene. I could have had my gun. <laughs> <laughs> Man, where's where where's a good where's a good place to reach for my gun when you need it? <laughs> uh, but once Louis hears about uh, Juno wanting to go after Legoshi, he then implies to her that uh, Legoshi's heart belongs to someone else, possibly. And this is pretty much confirmed later that night as the power goes out at the festival area, and she notices that uh, Legoshi is more uh, concerned about Haru instead of her. Right, the lights go out, and like, there's a lot of like, sca- there's a great scare among like all the other students there that were working on the floats, where like now the lights are out, like a carnivore can like go and like eat somebody or something. So like all the carnivores form a protective circle around the herbivore students, but then Legoshi notices that Haru isn't around in the area, and he just like goes into a panic and is just like, I gotta go, fi- I gotta go right now, I gotta go, I'll be right back, and he goes looking for Haru, goes looking for Haru. And he finally does find her, cowering near a tree. And he goes over trying to, like, you know, assure her that, like, he's there. But she just reaches out to, like, the figure that she sees. And yells out, Louie! And embraces Legoshi. Mm. Oh, boy. And then the lights come back on. (laughs) (laughs) And she finds she is mistaken. Oh, man. (laughs) This drama is so good. I'm just eating it up. I know. It's such juicy drama. It's just like, oh, man, this is so good. Like, there's a reason why I watched this all in one day, because I could not wait. But Lo- but Lego, she even, like, you know, kneels down and is just like, hey, it's all right. Like, here, do you need any help or something? And you see Juno looking over at the situation and is just like, oh, my God. No. Is Lego, she, does he actually have the hots for a rabbit? Mmm, mmm, this is good. Mmm, juicy. And just all this build-up for what's more to come, it's just... uh, (laughs) I love it. Uh, Since we mentioned Louis, uh, the following day, we get his backstory here, and want to take us through it? Holy shit. Like, this... This is dark. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it's stylized here in the anime, but, like, in the manga... It's even more brutal in the manga, because there's no stylization. It's just straight up, like, you see exactly what happened in this past, as it happened. So, to set the scene, Louis wakes up from a nightmare one day, when he hears, like, so- when he hears like someone outside screaming, like, four, four, where's number four? And then he looks out, like, and he notices people are just, like, you know, looking for, like, jurors, like a, like a sports player or something. Like, oh, number four is here. And he just remarks, number four. The unluckiest, the unluckiest number, and then he just goes into his backstory, and you find out that he was originally a like raised child slave, who was to be sold as livestock to predators, into like carnivores in the back alley market. Now I think this is elaborated on a little bit more in the manga, but yeah, apparently like there's a there's an even more taboo sector of the back alley market. Where people will raise, uh, raise orphans, and like not only that, but like even like babies to like a certain age, 
and will then sell them to carnivores for a price. Whereupon the whereupon the the the, the livestock quotation marks is then just given sleeping drugs and then just consumed. And Louis here is just sitting in the cell, a little child, can't even fucking articulate a word, because he wasn't taught anything. Nope. So he's just making noises as he's got the number four tattooed on his right foot. And, yeah, all he sees is, all he sees is just his, like, fellow, like, friends, his fellow cellmates just being taken out to a place where they're never going to come back. But one day, someone comes in, someone big, the first stag he has ever seen in his life, Ogma, the, apparently the leader of all, the leader of the Horns conglomerate? Something like that. Like, the, the, basically this big conglomerate of, like, horned species. Like, a real bigwig in the political world, and he comes to this sleazy place to, like, basically buy a child. <laughs> One boy, please. And he takes up Louis because he is a red deer. And he's taking him up, and Louis is, like, fighting back, you know, he doesn't want to let go or anything. Because he thinks, like, something bad's gonna happen. But Ogama just says, just tells him, like, listen, I can't have kids, and a lot is, is expected from me. So you are going to be my progeny from now on. You have a real, you have a real fight for life in you, inside you. You know, you got a real love for life. So let's test that. And he chucks Louie <laughs> into a room with carnivores who are awaiting their meals, and they all think Louie is for them. And Ogma throws Louie a knife and is like, "Do what you will. Are you gonna fight? Or are you gonna fly?" And then Louie threat. And then Louis, just screaming in fear, threatens to put the knife to his neck to, like, kill himself rather than be eaten. And Agama pulls him back into the elevator, away from the prying mouths of the carnivores, and brings Louis up to the top, where he shows him the sun for the very first time. And he tells Louis, with that kind of conviction, to rather die than be eaten. He has a conviction that will change the world. And he will change the world as his son. Fuck! Look at this promised Neverland plot here. <laughs> Ooh, that's heavy. It is. That's heavy. And also the fact that we see that he's there with other kids. This makes the whole black market even more fucked up. Even more fucked up? <laughs> There's probably some veal in there. Oh my god. <laughs> But now you know why he has such a complex now. But why, why he doesn't carnivores? Yeah, why he like hates carnivores and you know and doesn't want to be looked down upon them. It's just, it's just something that he just couldn't shake when he, he was a child because like his perception of carnivores is just like these monsters who just who just only know how to just hunt and eat. God, that's such good characterization. <laughs> and also like this. Uh, this also serves as to why like he's uh, he tends to pay his respect to Tem like. Every time, because, you know, he's kind of, like... They're kind he of could, the he could have ended up like Tim. He could, they could have been him. Fuck, this is so good. Yeah. And it almost was him, because, like, uh, another student, carnivore student tries to jump him, but thankfully, Legoshi basically protects him. Right, right, yeah. It turns out, like, other carnivores have, like, a thing against uh, Louis, because he's the top dog, and pretty much everyone knows he's probably going to be the, the B-star chosen for their school. And, you know, they don't want uh, herbivore, like, leading them, you know, trying to unite both carnivores and herbivores. They don't want to, like, reach across the aisle with this guy. Yeah, but Legoshi stops him, and Legoshi realizes, oh, man, like, I gotta protect Louie or something. Like, 
You know, as much as like as much as I may be jealous of him, I gotta respect that, you know, Haru loves him. You know. They've got something beautiful going on and I guess I shouldn't interfere. And also just like even though he has a weird way of showing it, Louie is kinda like the only other person that kinda really shows Legoshi a lot of respect, really. Right. In a right. way. Even though he does look, kind of look down on him for being a carnivore. Well, well, Lego, Le, yeah, well, Legoshi is just, you know, he doesn't, like, he doesn't carry, like, himself haughtily, like Bill or anything, you know? Like, Legoshi, he, he's a very humble guy, so I think that's, I think that's a trait that uh, is just very strange to yeah. Louie, I think. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, you're not like most carnivores. You know, like, you're different, Legoshi, you're different. Anyway, it's time for Legoshi to be completely honest with himself. He plans on telling Haru exactly how he feels about her. But before he has a chance to confess, Haru goes missing. She's been kidnapped by Shishigumi, a lion Yakuza gang. Oh my god. Back-to-back anime featuring the Yakuza. Hey. We covered here. <laughs> oh, what do you think of this? Uh, Shishigumi, Shishi, lion, Gumi from, you know, Yakuza organizations like Yamaguchi Gumi and stuff. Also, uh, the the number four she, yeah, ah, like it was referenced from Louis before. Mm-hmm. I like that. By the way, I want to mention Louis' hatred of the number four. Him and uh, Mista from JoJo Part Five are kind of kindred spirits there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are, and they both have an affinity for guns. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like that connection. Yeah. yeah, but she is yes. Haru is kidnapped by Lion Yakuza. <laughs> Like, when I started this series, I never thought we'd get to Lion Yakuza, but I'm glad we did. I didn't even think this was going to go into Lion Yakuza. But here it is, and I'm happier for it. (laughs) (laughs) This is so so boss. This is. Now I want to see Kiryu fight Lion Yakuza. (laughs) (laughs) And during this, uh, we meet their real creeper boss, played here by Kyle Bear. And this this fucking guy is so squeaky. Yes, this this old... Lion Yakuza fuck who captures white herbivores, white furred herbivores, because he believes that their meat tastes better. It's pure. There's some purity there. And he's going to have Haru here for dinner. <laughs> Holy crap. And he and he even oh god, this was this was so uncomfortable in the manga, even in the manga. <laughs> and it's just as uncomfortable here. He's like telling her to like strip completely so that he can observe her to make sure yeah. she's completely white. Like, oh it's it's so pervy, it's just so Jesus. nasty. Like so uncomfortable. Oh my god. And he even tells her to like wash up too, you know, it's like I want you clean when I eat you. Although I will say the dub leans particularly hard into like the rapey undertones yeah. of this whole situation. Yeah. Not as much as, like, some of the manga translation does as well. Yeah, the, the, the manga, I, I would, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, although, he, he gets particularly close to Haru, though, when observing her, so, like, that makes up in the creepiness. Yeah. Like, it's, it's really uncomfortable. It is. Either way. And fearing that this incident will endanger his position, the mayor forbids investigation on this matter. He's just all like, just ignore it, it'll work itself out. Just well, like, he, no, well, he, in particular, he lies to others, saying that, like, this is under control. But then he rips up any, he rips up the calling card that the Shishigumi left. Because, because he says he worked way too hard to bring lions to this position. Or he, 
he's worked too hard to bring lions up in standing in the world by achieving a position as mayor. And he's not going to have a bunch of criminals, like, ruin that for him. And this gets elaborated further as well. Because he has a talk with Louis next. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Because he tells Louis straight up, like, look, it's very likely that you are going to be chosen as the B-star of your school. So you gotta take this as a learning moment right here. Sometimes there are just some acceptable losses you gotta accept out there to to maintain the societal order. I mean, look at me. I had four million. I had four million yen worth of plastic surgery done on my face, and had dental reconstruction surgery to look more appealing, to rise, raise up the opinion people have of lions in society. That's what I did. So you do your part. I'm sorry, Haru was your friend, but you gotta let it go. Because this is gonna because this is what is, is is expected of you as the B star. This is what society expects of you. We gotta maintain the social order. <laughs> I will say, the one thing that does kind of bring this down a little bit, in a funny way, is that there are some people online who have suggested that the mayor's appearance may potentially be based on a botched taxidermy <laughs> <laughs> job that was done. For a Scandinavian king's pet lion who died. Oh, really? You you can look this up uh, if, you, if you ever read the moment. Look up Scandinavian Scandinavian king lion taxidermy, or look up funny lion taxidermy, and you will find this botched taxidermy job <laughs> that was done during like the 18th century on a lion that the taxidermist I don't think had any previous experience with. And so, like, they fucked it up, and I think they even, like, f- like didn't have any teeth to use with it. So they just gave it, like, human teeth or something, and it's, like, the derpiest-looking lion I've ever seen in my life. It's like a taxidermy version of that, uh, the recreation of that one Jesus painting. Yes, it is. It's, it's so, it's so awful and so funny. Oh, man, I gotta see this. Yeah, look up funny lion taxidermy. It's one of the first options you will get. Alright, I'll check this out later. <laughs> it's so funny. And yeah, the, the mayor visually may have been based on that. <laughs> and honestly, pretty good job. <laughs> That's a deep pretty, hole. Pretty good, re- pretty good render. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, since Louis can't go after Haru himself, it's up to Legoshi to save her. And like before he comes to that decision, like he's at he, Louis. Uh, Legoshi comes up to Louis, going like, "Aren't you going to do anything? Like, don't you care about her?" And then Louis can't even say anything about the blackmail about anything. He's just all like, "No, I can't do anything about this. Just have to wait and see what happens." And then they get into like a fist fight here. Where Legoshi is just like, I thought you loved her, now you're just letting her just, like, up and die here. But it just, it's all more complicated than that, because, like, Louis does want to go save her, he does care about her, but he can't. Because of the, because of society, and, like, he has to be the next beast star. he can't go after the, the lions. Yeah, he's split between, like, duties and whatnot. And Legoshi just tells Louis straight up, like, believe in whatever you want, do whatever you want in the end, but I'm just gonna let you know right now, Haru is mine. And I'm going to save her. And then I'm pretty sure he punctuates this with the uh, Kamina, let's see you grit those teeth punch. Oh, God. But oh uh, yeah, we're pulling to Kiryu and storming a Yakuza base. <laughs> <laughs> but before he can storm, he's got to find their hideout. And it should be easy, you know, just do like in My Hero Academia. Tail one of the members, find them buying a pre-cure doll, then track him back to their base. Bing, bang, boom. 
Well, it's going to be tougher because in the back alley market, there's tons of other smells that are gonna, that would uh, block his tracking usually, so he doesn't know where to go. And then he has to run into some uh, goons in the uh, black market going on like, Oh, Shishigumi? Yeah, yeah, we know them. Just uh, follow us down this uh, dark alley where no one can find you. And then they try to just basically jump him right there. But uh, thankfully, he's saved by going, who's also packing heat. Yeah, he's got like a sick bamboo crossbow. God, that looks awesome. With the the bandolier around him, too. Just, <laughs> oh my god, he looks like fucking Rambo here. Well, the, the, the bandolier is because in the manga, he also had an assault rifle with him, too. <laughs> <laughs> that he didn't pop out until the end. Um, <laughs> it's a great moment where he's just straight up like, ah, oh, quick, call an ambulance, but not for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah, time for Legoshi and going Yakuza Smashing Adventures. And it's fucking on right here. Yes, Legoshi, like, straight up, like, tries to get outside the compound, but he gets caught. But then he smells Haru on the Yakuza, who's, like, you know, haughtily trying to threaten him and tell them, like, oh, if you want Haru, then you better wait for our boss to vomit up, because she's probably eaten right now. And then he... And then, like, this this was so well done. This was so well translated from the manga. Legoshi goes into a rage and, like, forces, like, the guy's, like, the guy's, uh, got the lion's, uh, gun-holding hand, like, forcing it forward until he, like, forces the gun to, like, discharge and, like, blows off, like, the guy's right ear. Yeah. It's, oh, my God. And in the manga, it, it's rendered so well with, like, the, the gun, ex- like, expo- expunging around, too. Oh, yeah. It looks just as gruesome. And, oh, and Legoshi has him on the ground, but then he just lets slip out of his mouth, like, you are not going to do anything to Haru. Haru is my prey. But then he has, like, a moment where he has to stop. And he's just like, what? (laughs) Prey? And then he gets the jump on him by, like, the lion Yakuza, but then Goheen, like, just plugs (laughs) plugs an an arrow bolt right into his back. Oh, man, that was cool. And Goheen's just like... Look, if you're gonna, like, go after these guys, then you gotta use your strength as a wolf. Go for the neck. Bite them! You're a wolf. Bite them! You have teeth. Use them. Yes. <laughs> and then at this moment, Legoshi unleashes the animal within. Yes, Goheen just picks him right up and it's just like, if you have something worth fighting for, then stand tall and bare your fangs to protect the ones you love. Or something along those lines. Something like that. And then they begin their assault on the Shishigumi compound. And I love their coordination here, where it's like, Legoshi takes the lead, he, like, uh, has to f- face off against some Yakuza, but then Going just backs him up, draws all the attention to him, while Legoshi just continues to make his way up the stairs, throwing dudes left and right, throwing a dude down the stairs, too, and just, like, throwing guys against the wall, too. Very different from the manga, because in the manga, all of the uh, line Yakuza actually crowd out outside, where they find Legoshi and Going, and they start the fight out there, and the fight remains out there. During, like, all, like, this entire fight segment takes place entirely outside in the manga. But in the anime, they extend it to, oh, Legoshi has to fight his way up this giant tower to get to Haru at the very top. He's gotta have a sick tower battle. Yes, he has to literally pull a Kiryu and assault the, t- and assault the tower and get past all these Yakuza to get to the top. Needs more of him uh, throwing dudes out of the window. <laughs> yes, it really does. But for, like, what it's worth, it's a pretty well animated and very tense, thanks to the music sequence where both Legoshi and Gohin have to fight their way to the top. Also the action, very well done here. Like not not only just uh, Gohin with like his uh 
with his bolts, but also like actual the actual hand to hand combat here. Very good looking hand to hand combat, I will say. See, and, it? The, and the and the manga itself does have really good action scenes, really well choreographed. Like, su- surprisingly, everyone in that manga can fight really well. <laughs> CX arm? This is how you do CG action scenes. <laughs> Don't need to do, like, these single shots where the camera just spins around like a fucking drone. Now, now, leave some X arm for the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as this is going on, Haru reflects on her life up to this point as she kind of uh, writes a uh, last will and testament in her own head. And I'll splice you in this scene here. Do I address it as dear? Does it even matter? Oh well, it's just a greeting sort of thing, and I don't even know who I'm writing to. I guess I don't need it. This is going to be one sad will. I just got this sudden urge to reflect on my life. Anyway, I'm pretty much forcing myself to do it. My life. My life is about to end a rather funny, pitiful end. I was kidnapped and captured by some strange gang, and now I'm being inspected and judged whether or not I'm good quality meat. I know it's too late for excuses, but please understand that I was just doing my best to live my life as a woman and a small animal. It's true. But looking back on how I lived, I should have expected this kind of end. A woman like me, born as a dwarf rabbit, the odds of living a happy life were against me. Actually, I was born into a modest dwarf rabbit family. (laughs) But it was a loving family. All in all, it was a comfortable life. And as the runt of the family, My parents looked out for me and always told me, Never let your guard down. Dwarf rabbits are one of the weakest herbivores, so you have to be careful. Do you understand? Why? If anything happens, you'll be the first to die. It never completely made sense when I was little, but once I turned 10, I began to slowly understand. Oh, let me hold that for you. Thanks. Even when I was fully grown, everyone would see me and treat me like a baby. Why are you smiling like that? Huh? Oh, never mind. Thanks. It's because I'm small, weak, and everyone feels sorry for me. I'd be the one to die first if anything happened. Everyone puts on a smiley face when they interact with poor animals like me. Oh, oh, sorry. Did I hurt you? Why don't you leave the rest to me, Haru? As I grew up around smiles of pity, I entered my third year in junior high school. Uh, Haru, I've always had a crush on you. So, will you go out with me? He's not smiling. I discovered the one thing that I can do to feel like I'm equal with others. I found that this is the only time people don't feel sorry for me. It's an honest interaction with another individual, where I'm not treated as the weak one. I didn't want others to look at me and see me as just some fragile dwarf rabbit. I wanted others to see me for who I am. Me, Haru. Haru, are you okay? 
What? This might sound silly, but that was when I felt validated for the very first time in my life. Even though I lost a lot of my friends and it made people look down on me. Personally, it was far better than being pitied. But it's all over now. All over. Goodbye, dwarf rabbit life. What a worthless 18 years. I never got to tell the guy I fell in love with my true feelings. I never realized my purpose in life or my true worth. And now, all that I am left with are regrets. I. Why? Why are you here, Legoshi? He's unsociable and quiet. I never know what he's thinking. But this gray wolf was always honest and treated me as an individual. You never showed me pity or felt the need to sympathize with me. You always saw me as myself. Thoughts on this here? This is it. This looks to be it for her. This looks to be it for Haru. This is what her life has come up to. She's about to be eaten by some old lion Yakuza bastard. And this is what her life is going to amount to. Or so it may seem. Because she looks back on like what she had. She looks back on the friends. She looks back on like how the, every way in which she has presented herself thus far. Now she has never let anyone look down on her because of her stature in this world. Because of who she is. And she has a great moment where she kicks the old bastard away. Just as he thinks he's about to, like, you know... Because he talks about, like, oh, like, when an animal is stripped of their dignity, they taste so much better. But she kicks him right away. Yeah! And is just like, oh, you think I'm gonna go down undignified? Like hell I am. I hope you, ch I hope you choke on me, you old bastard. I hope I taste like the worst meal you've ever had in your life. Because I am not going to go down scared. I am not going to go down without a lack of dignity. I'm going to go down kicking. And then he gets angry and then forces her down, almost looking like he is about to consume her. Until, out of nowhere, Legoshi grabs the cane that he was used, that the old man was using before and swats him right away <laughs> from Haru. Oof. Oh. It's on. Oh, the final showdown between Legoshi and the big boss of Shishigumi. And what a fight they have. Just, ah, uh, just the, the action is just so good. Legoshi now knows what it's, now knows what Haru was saying. He now knows what it's like to have his life in a situation where he may possibly die. It doesn't matter, just he only cares about her safety and like, he just lets himself go right here. Like, after moments of just teasing him, like kind of going, kind of unleashing that inner wolf instinct like right here he just kind of like lets it all go and just unloads on this asshole he even tells haru you may want to look away from yeah. what comes next just just bam 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 just batters him runs around him just gets him with a big dog just oh man and finally goes in hopefully for the kill he goes and goes for the right for the jugular mm. legoshi just bites right into his neck and just rips and tears. Mm -hmm. 
And then he and Haru leave. You know, he extends his hand out to her, just asking her if you're just, do you want to you wanna go with me? And then she's all like, yeah. But then, like, as they're leaving, it turns out Legoshi actually didn't kill the boss, you know? He spared him in this moment. Like, he still went for the neck, but he, he didn't kill him. Like, yeah, he missed his jugular. And the boss just gets up, you know, just grabbing his neck, just and pulls out a gun, and he's, like, ready to just kill them both right then and there, just outside while standing on his balcony. Until Louie comes in and pulls out his gun on the boss. And he finally has his gun. <laughs> which, it's implied he probably picked up from a Yakuza. Yeah, which is what I thought. <laughs> and he fucking kills him. He blows the boss's brains right out. Like, he puts the gun, like, in his mouth and just, like... He's like, beg for your life! (laughs) And then just, boom! Headshot! (laughs) Stick it up in your mouth and pull the trigger until it goes click. But then he just, like, uh, but then, like, after that, he's just like, my life is over. And then, like, uh, the bosses, uh, some of his underlings come in and see this and and they're like, did you do this? You killed our boss, and then Louie is just all like, this is it for me right here. Eat me. Be grateful. Go ahead. I'm number four. I was always meant for this. This was my destiny. Come on, eat me. Go on, eat me. And just last we ever hear of him is just him laughing. Just laughing all the way. Oh, man. (laughs) Kind of a good send-off for now, I'm assuming. For now. Afterwards, Legoshi and Haru have no way to get back to Cherryton. Until morning, which means they have to spend the night together. Woo! Oh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing Legoshi was taught by his granddad to sew all that money into the insole of his shoe. Yeah, you know, <laughs> just always, always keep it for a rainy day. Thanks, Grandpa. No <laughs> <laughs> oh, problems, Legoshi. <laughs> and the only place they can afford to stay is a love hotel. <laughs> <laughs> It's 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 never just a normal hotel. No, it's got to be one of those sex places. Why is it like it's it's every time it's like I it's it's a nice big slowdown moment and stuff I know, but like why is it always like love hotels? It's like <laughs> really is that the only hotel in Japan you can easily get to? There's never just normal hotels. There are business hotels for crying out loud where businessmen can shack up in for a night for a decent price. I'm sure, like, love hotels are cheaper because basically you're only there to just screw and then leave. Right, right, you know, they're just no-tell motels, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, even Haru says, like, oh yeah, this is a place I know about. They don't even take IDs, so we're cool. (laughs) (laughs) They don't even care about carnivore or herbivores, like, going in together, so, like, we'll be chill. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Whatever, we're getting paid. (laughs) It's always love hotels. It is. They can't just go into a fucking Best Western and just enjoy, like... <laughs> the, the Japanese Best Western. <laughs> they can just go into a fucking Best Western and, like, enjoy, like, the complimentary, like, treats they give you. <laughs> yeah, you know, get some fresh baked cookies. Yeah. <laughs> How about one of those capsule hotels, you know? Yeah, why not something like that? Like, it could even add more to the tension, just these two in, like, a very small cramped space. Oh, yeah, that could work, actually. <laughs> but, yeah, in this love hotel, uh, they try to get a little busy, but uh, their instincts as carnivore and herbivore get in the way. And they just can't uh, can't really control themselves. Like they try to get things going, but it always leads to just almost getting eaten. Right. Yeah. Well. Like. Yeah. Haru's instincts like kind of force her to enter Legoshi's mouth. She kind of takes it as a sign that, uh, oh God, this is probably a really bad idea. I don't think I'm ready for this. Also, doesn't help that 
this room they're staying in has a big wall-sized mirror. What is the point of the mirror in these love hotels? Are you supposed to look at yourself while you're doing it? You, th you think anyone wants to look at themselves fucking, like in these mirrors? I don't want to see myself while I'm getting down. You want to look at yourself in the mirror and just be like, wow, am I really that carnal right now? I got it's great like, form. <laughs> it's like, I would look awful in a porno right now. I am not built for porn. This is turning me off. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, no, no, you're, you're killing the mood here with this big mirror. You know, you're, you're really running a terrible business here with this thing. I mean, how, what kind of vanity do you need to, like, look at yourself in a mirror while you're fucking in order to, like, encourage you? You think that's going to encourage you to go on? No, I, I'm assuming when you're doing it, you're supposed to be looking at your partner, not looking at yourself going on like, yeah, bro, you're fucking getting down. It's like, do you really, do you think patrons really need to praise themselves that hard that they need to look at themselves while they're having sex? How vain do you have to be? How, I know. What kind of, like, what kind of vain bastard do you have to be? <laughs> hey, come on, sweetie, look at us. We're doing it. I know it's We're fucking well. I, I've never understood like mirrored walls yeah. in sexy environments. I just don't get it. <laughs> and then uh, during the scene, the truth comes out as Legoshi tells Haru about that night when they first met, and basically reveals that, yeah, I almost ate you right there. you wash them and hang them up huh well you know you want your clothes to be clean don't you hmm? uh, what <laughs> i'm talking about your clothes you can't ride the train like that they're covered in blood was i was i just about to kiss her lift your arms i'll help you with them I've changed a lot since I met her. Legoshi. You have so many scars. What from? It all started when I met you. It was a cold night, and all we could hear was the sound of the fountain. Legoshi. <gasps> Ever since that night, everything about me changed. I've been concealing something from you. The first time that you and I met wasn't at the garden. You see, the monster who attacked you behind the lecture hall. That was me. I was about to devour you. I just... Don't worry. Actually, I had a feeling it was you. Huh? Well, you know, I wasn't suspicious. There were just a couple of times that I kind of sensed it. That's why I didn't know how to feel about you all this time. I wasn't sure if you were planning on devouring me, or if you had other intentions. Why were you so nice to me? Because when we're together, I have a lot of fun. 
Hey, Legoshi. We've kind of been... stuck in this position this whole time. Are you gonna make love to me? Or devour me? Tell me. Which is it? The choice is all yours. Uh, Haru, I just can't. <laughs> it's okay. Your heartbeat is getting me excited too. This is harder than the fight you got in earlier. Yes, I know. I have to... I have to make a decision. Haru, you understand how it is. No, I don't. But you have to decide, Legoshi. Sorry. My hands are shaking. It's okay. Just go slow. Hold on. Is this okay? She's so small. Her body's too small. My, my one hand covers her whole torso. It's soft, but it's firm in some parts. Well, are these her ribs? And that means up here must be... Uh, Ouch! Your claws are sharp. Sorry. It's okay. Let's keep on going. Just relax. Why don't we lay down? Am I too heavy? I'm fine. You're not heavy. I gotta calm down. Don't hurt her. Don't scare her. your mouth I know it's my rabbit instincts fighting back they're telling me it's a terrible mistake for us to become lovers and yet Haru always kind of knew like wow <laughs> yeah. but then she's like but I then I learned how like how much how much of a kind person you were I learned that you really weren't that I learned I learned that uh Beneath it all, you really were a kind, gentle old soul. Then she's quite forward with uh, how she wants the night to go. And then they try to do some things, and he's all like, huh, this is weird. Kind of feeling around, he's like, oh, this is a rib cage." And above that is... Uh, oh! Kind of feels like a bags of sand here. <laughs> two bags of sand. Because <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't fucking know. He's never touched a boob before. No. <laughs> I think, wait, was there some kind of like comparison in the manga to like touching mochi? Was there? I think there might have been. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, it's, it's, it's an appropriately awkward scene and Legoshi is just like, wow, am I really rising up this quickly in the world? Like, what? We're already here? We're already here? It's like, yeah, he's just thinking, like, wow, we didn't go through any of the other bases. Like, I'm just, 
walking straight over to like home base here. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even get up to bat. I'm just already at home. <laughs> and I got to say, major props to Jonas Scott and Laura Jill Miller here doing this scene. I mean, sex scenes are not the easiest thing in the world to do. They can be very uncomfortable, but they handled it quite well. Especially considering when it comes to dubbing anime, you're not in the same room as, like, uh, your scene partner. So, like, having to pretty much act either with their pre-recorded dialogue or going off the Japanese dialogue has to be pretty difficult. Yeah, it can be quite difficult, I imagine. And also doing, like, sex scenes in anime in general, because, like, I've heard some stories about, like, some actors when they have to do a sex scene, they kind of unintentionally start doing some weird motions in there, and it can be really awkward. Oh, <laughs> oh. Like, I heard a story about uh, J. Michael Tatum when he's recording a scene for a Black Butler where the scene is, like, his character having to stoop a maid and then, like, to just get some information out of her. And, like, apparently, while he was doing that scene, he did some pelvic thrusting, and the director just looked at him through the window and just started pointing and laughing at him. <laughs> Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, Jay, Jay, you're revealing, you're, you're getting too into character here. Oh, so that, those are your moves. <laughs> uh, but after this, uh, they managed to make their uh, make their way back to Cherryton, and uh, Legoshi is soon read the riot act by his uh, uh, boarding room owner about, like, going out with, uh, with a rabbit after hours. Mm-hmm. But... He is back, and he is alive, and the bo- and both he and Haru are safe. And we're closing in on the end of Season 1, so it's time to slap a bow on this puppy here. So, yeah, no Lego She and Haru sexy time here. No, no. Not making the uh, the, the, hor- the horizontal bump. No, uh, Haru... The beast with two backs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's better than mine. I was going to say, like, uh, Haru teaching... Uh, like if she's some of uh, multiplication here. <laughs> she's going to teach this dog a few new tricks. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day, after trying to put the moves on Legoshi while he, while he's uh, laid up in the, in the nurse's office, Jino then confronts Haru, and thus uh, we have the beginning of their love rivalry here. Mm-hmm. As uh, Juno lays down the challenge, kind of like corners Haru, saying, uh, like, Legoshi's going to be mine. You have no chance in here, because we're both wolves here. And you're just a little rabbit. Mm-hmm. The gauntlet has been thrown. And so the Meteor Festival begins, but before Legoshi can confess to Haru, Juno brings him on stage and announces his heroism of saving our herbivore to the crowd, which applauds his bravery. She then arranges to light a candle with them to signify their relationship, because uh, they say throughout the series that if you two people light candles together during the night of the Meteor Festival, that means they're destined to be together forever. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he doesn't stick around, he actually bails on her. And Legoshi finds Haru and explains his feelings, but admits to her that he needs some time to get stronger so he doesn't lose his instincts before, because uh, during their little sexy time, he uh, does almost uh, intentionally hurt her a bit, because he just can't really control himself. Yeah. To which she replies that she'll wait for him. And so, the season comes to a close as Legoshi uh, walks out of the bathroom and encounters an unseen character, a character who we only get their POV from. All you hear is heavy breathing. You see a bathroom being left. You see in a trash can a thrown package of spent pills. And then you just see a POV shot of someone walking down the hall. Legoshi meets them and asks, Oh, how are you doing? Are you alright? You're like... You're looking kind of weird. What are you smiling for? Oh! 
See You Second Season. See You Second Season. Which is airing right now, but we can't watch it yet because fucking Netflix. Ah, Netflix strikes again. We gotta wait until July. Because I remember when they made that announcement, they're just all like, Beastars is coming to the U.S. In but not July. for all of you. Yeah. Ugh. If you want to watch it, get a VPN, idiots. God damn it. Final thoughts on Beastars. I'm going to let you go first on this one. Oh, man. So this was amazing. I really enjoyed this. Just top to bottom, a really, really good series. And a really, really good high school teen drama anime. Probably one of the best I've ever seen. Right? Just, I've seen some before, and like I said, they can range from being okay to just not very good at all, and in some cases very overhyped in my opinion. But this, this nails it. Like, I am just enthralled by the dynamics between all the characters and seeing the drama play out between all of them. I love seeing the relationships between them and just like how just, how they all intertwine. Like, we have like, you know, basically like not even a love triangle, love square here with like, Legoshi, Haru, Louie, and Juno. And it's just, it's so good. Just give me more of it. And I love the characters, too. They're just all so interesting. They're all so lovable. Even some of the more jackass characters like Bill, you kind of, you kind of like him for how unabashedly awful he is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you also get some good characters, too. You got good boy Jack, who's just so, he's just amazing. I love him. And, of course, our main characters, Legoshi and Haru, just perfect, 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 perfect. I loved watching their their dynamic together throughout the entire series and I just want to see more of them and I kind of do want to see him hook up and I just I know the journey to that point is going to be amazing and of course uh, animation wise like one of the be better CG animated shows I, I've seen like, you know I've, se I've taken digs at uh, XR in Berserk 2016 and it's just like yeah, please be more like this. I want to see good CG animation in anime like this. We need way more of it. We we have gotten some real stinkers before and continue to get real stinkers. Yeah, like I want more stuff like Beastars or Dorohidoro or Land of the Lustrous, even though I haven't seen it. But now I really do want to see it because considering like they're both done by the same studios, I already know that, okay, this is going to be good. And of course, uh, dub-wise, very, very good dub and like a very good like kind of introductory performance to like a uh, an actor like Jonah Scott who I'm assuming he's done anime before but like this is kind of like my personal introduction to him and he nails it well he did Formaggio before this I believe oh, in yeah, that's uh right. yep in Jojo in uh, Jojo part five yeah that's right that's right but like to at least to hear him in like a lead this role. is this is a very big starring role for him yeah and like hopefully this leads to like much more like much more roles for him down the line because he definitely deserves it and earned it don't rule out Miller, though. Mm -hmm. She was also really good. God, like, I still, like, can't believe, like, an actress that I've heard ever since I was, like, a little Mike Jr. watching stuff like Digimon and seeing, like, her still going today and, like, doing stuff that's, like, even bigger and better than stuff like Digimon or The Loud House or OKKO. Like, it's amazing to see, like, how far she's come from just doing, like, decent 90s dubs to doing like really well done professional modern day dubs we're all big kids now and uh she's voicing a very big she voiced a very big kid dub yep oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, just overall just this gives i guess give this two big thumbs up it's amazing and as for me i mean did i mean as i made it i have made it pretty clear throughout this entire review uh b stars is probably one of the in both manga and anime, it's probably one of the better works I have read over this uh, 
maybe in like the past like five years or so, or even past decade or so. It's 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 got just a really extremely well realized world, extremely well realized and very well characterized characters, and um, I was so happy to finally see it all rendered in this anime, which everything from like the from the music, which like I don't even know if we even talked about the music very much. Like music alone was just like fan was fantastic for the series. Yeah, very heavily orchestral and like jazzy in parts, and very like quick beat it, and like had a very quick beat to it, and very somber and sad and tragic. Like oh, just oh, wonderful. Like one of my favorites in a long time. And uh, you folks out there, you're gonna be hearing some of the music that I'll because I'll be splicing it in through like uh, parts of the podcast through like little interludes. And let this be known. I'm going to have a hard time picking, like, what songs to use. There are too many good tracks. There's so many good ones. Like, so many of them are just, like, so, like, sad and emotional. Like, you're gonna have... I'm sorry, you're gonna have a hard time picking these. Yeah, so, uh, for all the songs that you've listened through throughout the entire podcast, let it be known that I had a difficult time going through and picking the ones that I want to put in this podcast. But, yeah, the, the animation quality as well, just, like, I was so happy to see, like, some really good 3D, a really good blend of 3D animation and 2D implemented in a new original way I had never seen before. Uh, even, you know, even though I lamented about, like, some cut-like stuff a little bit, or, like, some change stuff, it is all small potatoes to, um, this work, which really did such a great job, uh, rendering this incredibly tragic but fascinating story. Uh, really rendering this like this story that has just really fascinating themes that I think can be applied to you know a lot of real world uh, you know problems and scenarios and stuff and um, is told in such a loving uh, in, in such a loving way that really makes that really rewards you and endears you to uh, all of its characters. Yeah, and I'll, you know, give credit to the entire story. It has officially ended now. That's one bit of credit I will give it over other series. Like, it actually knew when to end. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, there is there is so much more to get through. I, I cannot recommend Beastars enough because there is so much more good stuff on the way. I mean, it is only... This right now is if this were like if this were like a big philosophical paper, this is just the thesis statement <laughs> right here this first season. It's it's time to get to the main paragraphs now, and that will come for the rest of the series. So to all the people out there, I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing me gush a lot about B stars and get a little poetical mm. like here or there or something and really get into it. This is one I've been really wanting to get to for the podcast. And I'm so glad we finally got to it. And I hope, and I, I genuinely think we cannot get to the second season quick enough to really sate my excitement. <laughs> because I'm really excited for what people are going to be seeing in the future. Because, man, the, the, the first season doesn't really get into the big mystery of who killed Tim. Who, or who devoured Tim. But it, it's a mystery that does get an extremely good payoff. And you know what? I'm gonna ask you right now, Mikey. Um, do you have any idea of who could be who could be the culprit? Mm, that's a good question. Is it someone in the school? Have you ever thought about like who it could be? One idea I had was I was kind of thinking like, what if it's a character we haven't met yet? Mmm, you think so? Yeah, like what if like it's a character that will be introduced in se in season two, or maybe it's a character that has been seen maybe in like in the a ba background in the something. background but hasn't had many attention 
put to them because you know you don't want to you don't want to tip your hat towards them too, too early. Right. So have you uh, considered anything as to who or what it could be? Uh, no, I'm I'm actually kind of stumped here. And I hope you know what I would actually love to hear on Twitter as to who you might think it could be. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to look at uh, hopefully when season two comes out, do a little bit more detective work and kind of try to try to kind of like connect the dots here and there. You know, suss out who is suss the out. prime, who could be the prime culprit. You know, who's gonna get uh, who's gonna get uh, thrown out the airlock here? Yes. So I want you to think about that. Yeah, I'll get, think about that. Gotta go. And I want and I want all of you viewers to think about it as well because um, we we have seen them. Okay. We have seen them. So it's kind of a bit of a who shot Mr. Burns kind of thing here. It, it is. We, we are talking about a little bit of a who shot Mr. Burns here a little bit. The the culprit, there, 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 is, there is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm. I will say that. So to all you viewers out there, keep an eye out for, keep an eye out for who the wolf could be. <laughs> because wolf and wolf, they, mm. will meet again, they will meet at some point. Okay. And it's going to be a reckoning. <laughs> so watch Beastars, folks. I cannot recommend it enough. One of my, f one of my, one of my favorite works of maybe like the past decade or so. And I'm so glad it got translated lovingly into a great anime for you all to watch. It's a series that I would put on my best of 2020, but technically it came out in 2019. So make it a retroactive best of 2019 for me. Thank you all for listening. I've been your host, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias, at Mikey Shiota on Twitter, MikeyShiota.tumblr.com, and Mikey Shiota on the gram. Where can we find you, Ryan? You can find me at 2Bits on Twitter and WolfishGrin on Tumblr. Follow AnimeBaby on Twitter at Anime underscore Baby. That's Anime underscore B-A-Y-B-A-Y. And also follow the show at AnimeBaby.podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. And on the next episode, we kind of continue with the uh, high school setting theme here as we, uh, we move on to a series that uh, I've honestly really wanted to talk about in some way, shape, or form for almost several years up to this point. Like, this is pre-podcast we're talking about here. It's a series that I kind of, like, saw at, like, kind of a certain point in my, point in my life where I was just all like, really, this is something that people really seem to like and just something that, like, I feel very extremely mixed on, like... My feelings on this are really, really complicated with it, and I'm really looking forward to talk talking about it because I can just like really express those complicated feelings on it. And it's a series that's also incredibly popular with an extremely dedicated fan base. Next time, we're talking about Toradora. Oh boy, this is this is one I hear I heard you talking about as far back as high school. Yeah. Like this and even back then I was like Oh wow, this this sounds like a really mixed bag of an anime. It's a show that But almost I, interestingly so. It's a show that little preview here right now, I will say, starts off really well, but at a certain point just kind of falls off a cliff. <laughs> and people and it's a show that people have said, like you can look on it, look at it online in numerous shapes and forms, videos, essays, reviews, people saying it's like one of the best anime romantic comedies of all time. And I don't see it. Hmm. I'm curious to see, I'm curious to see if I will uh, see eye to eye there. Maybe well. I'll have a different opinion on this viewing because uh, there was one time where I gave it a rewatch back in, I want to say 2014, where at first I was kind of like, okay, no, this is actually good. And then it hit that point, and I'm just like, no, wait, never mind. 
So this will be a bit of a settling for you. You're you're gonna settle the score with Toradora. Yeah. I can respect that. I I will gladly be there with you to really kind of hash out your feelings. And this is something that I really wanted to talk about with you because this is something that I need a second opinion on. I need to talk to someone about this that that can give a very fair assessment to the series that isn't just, you know, kind of blinded by saying like best anime comedy of all time. Yes, well, don't worry. Like I'm going to be I'm going to be your therapist. I'm going to be your doctor during all this. <laughs> I'm going to consult you a little bit. Because you know what happens. Because you know what happens. Otherwise, people who don't hash out their feelings about Toradora end up with like losing hair. They chew their limbs off in confusion. So don't worry. I'm going to be here for you. I'm gonna, we're going to do the carrot and the stick right here. <laughs> you know, I'm just uh, you're going to keep you away from that black market. Yes, exactly. I will literally punch you in the face yeah. to keep you away from that yeah. if I need to. <laughs> Give me a muslin. Put me in a straitjacket. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then I'll feed you bamboo tea. <laughs> oh, that sounds lovely. <laughs> but until then, stay safe out there, wash your hands, wear a fucking mask, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when it's your turn. And thanks again for listening. And this has been... Anime, baby! Let's go. Yeah.